gamers and people who play <laughs> video games. Uh, Welcome to Into the Aether. Uh, a hot, sweaty, Mountain Dew-fueled adventure into, um, games. <laughs> My name is Brendan Bigley. Just like, just so many choices in that <laughs> intro. So many routes taken down a dark path. Uh, uh -huh. I'm Stephen Hilger. I don't stand by anything that was just said. I was I'm just trying to think of the exact like thematic opposite. and tonal opposite of everything that's going to come afterwards. <laughs> that's I, very true. You know what? I'm glad. I think I think you purposely. I think it was very purposeful and artistic. Yes. I take I take back my uh, my stance. Um, yeah. But I'm not going to repeat what you said ever again. My name is Stephen Hilger. This is Into the Aether, and today we are talking about a game called Kentucky Route Zero. I just want to say, I just want to say before we spend, spoiler, the whole episode talking about this game. Potentially, um, yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't really give, like, this is not a review show, we don't give ratings. Uh, but this only, one's a 9.5, baby. This one's a 10, it's a 10 <laughs> bottles out of the mountain. Wow! It's a whole mountain, baby. Um... The uh, I feel I'm so like sorry. Our, I'm so sorry our, for that. It's okay. It's honestly, it's fine. I was going to say the conceit of Into the Aether is that you and I bring to the table a game we're enjoying and we talk about it. Uh, usually it's like in three parts. We might have a game per part. Every now and then, we have a whole episode about one game, and I feel like that happens when we especially like something or when we feel like it's a big enough deal. Like I feel like. Yeah. I say we don't give ratings, but I do think it's worth pointing out that like I found when we do like whole episode about one game, that's a kind of a special event. Uh, I think the last time we did that was Three Houses. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, for some for something that's not a bonus episode. Right, right. For something that's not a bonus. Uh, so here we are, Kentucky Route Zero. Uh, this came out, uh, or I should say Kentucky Route Zero TV edition came out a few weeks ago for uh, PC, Switch, PS... I think for everything, actually. It's out for everything, right? Yeah, I think it is for everything. Yeah, I know for a fact it's for Switch, yeah. PS4, and PC, uh, but I yeah. imagine... I don't feel like it would not be for Xbox. Dropped, and I'm not gonna uh, Google it. one week ago? As of one week us ago. recording at this point? Wow, it feels... Time is different. Time um, is different, yeah, agreed. <laughs> this, is, but, this is almost the exact opposite problem that Three Houses had. <laughs> yeah, Three Houses, 30 hours whiffed by... Kentucky Route Zero, a minute, feel, like you look in the mirror and you see both you as a baby and you as an old man, and you're asked three questions that you can't <laughs> tell the answer to. That's the kind of experience we're having. Yeah. Um, just just quick overview before we get into it. Uh, this game uh, originally came out in 2013, and it was released in in parts or in acts rather. So Cardboard Games, I believe, is the developer. Cardboard uh, Computer. Cardboard Computer. Excuse yeah. me. Uh, and it was. Published by Annapurna, I think for the TV edition. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, just the TV edition. Yeah, yeah it was completely an independent venture backed on Kickstarter. They only raised like $8,000 on Kickstarter. Yeah. Originally. I mean, it's, Have you it, watched it, the Kickstarter video, by the way? I haven't, no. It looks wildly different. Yeah, like yeah. claymation game. I mean, I think the, in the TV edition, it's also worth noting that they definitely touched up the previous entries, but basically. 2013 act one came out and then pretty much over the course of the last decade they released uh the other four acts and then act five which ended the whole thing came out a week ago uh, alongside the tv edition so yeah. like it ended also worth noting there are Im the little interstitials like little interludes between each of the acts that were available as free downloads so you could either yeah. buy kentucky route zero whole cloth back in the beginning or during any of the acts 
and then in between you could download these free things yeah um, which was great um i knew of this game uh my friend eric who i'll mention probably uh a few times this this episode uh uh he's a huge fan of the series we played it together like we played it together recently but he showed it to me like i want to say maybe five years ago Mm. um and i played like the very very beginning of it and like it just we just didn't i had to like go or something like we didn't didn't really see it through but like my my only experience with this game was knowing that it existed basically and knowing that it had this kind of cult following and always wanting to play it but just like i think i i think i was in the camp of like waiting until it was done or at least like I don't really gravitate towards playing games on PC normally. And I feel like this is a PC exclusive until the TV edition, uh, hence yeah. the title. So that's kind of where, where my experience was. And now of course I'm playing it and, and <laughs> I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, what, what was your knowledge of this before, before getting into it? Um, yeah. So that was, uh, around 2011, I think was when the Kickstarter happened, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, it didn't come out until 2013. I remember hearing about the Kickstarter, hearing it was successful. And then when Act 1 came out, I bought it immediately just based on some of the hype that I had seen about it. And without really reading anything, I just like knew that it was good. It was kind of all I had heard. It was good. Yeah. Uh, and I played through it and I thought to myself, I don't really like point and click adventure games. I have no idea what's happening. I don't think I'm into this, but maybe I'll return to this when it's done. Because uh, I didn't know how many acts it was going to be. I didn't know what was really going on. Um, so I just kind of like put it on ice and just kind of like let it happen in the background. And I remembered hearing a lot about not act two and not limits and demonstrations, which is the interlude between acts one and two, but the entertainment, the interlude between acts two and three. I remember hearing a lot about the entertainment. That's like really when it kind of ramped up in the discourse again. And that was kind of when my interest to get back into it happened but then i found out that the entertainment was for oculus rift uh and i was like okay cool well i don't have that so i'm not gonna do it you could play it without it originally but i was like it seems like they want it to be a vr thing and i don't have the vr thing so i'm not gonna play it and uh yeah just kind of like put it on ice for a while and and now i'm back baby and guess what I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible and i should yeah. have been playing it the whole time especially because yeah. i bought it already like i have it it's on steam it's in my steam account i should have been playing it kicking I myself feel like, i feel like so uh, it's worth noting too that uh for this part of the episode we're gonna avoid spoilers we're gonna just sort of talk about like as vague as we can get uh with with the game's story but just sort of like mechanically what it is and and how we're enjoying it and then after the break we'll get into more story specific stuff brendan and i are around the same point he's a little you're a little bit farther than i am uh you're like you finished act three i finished right? act three i'm i'm yeah. i'm right before the interlude between three and four you told me before recording if i if i sound like nervous and like and enchanted and like scared it's because I just was playing it like seconds ago and it's nighttime yeah. and I'm having a drink. It's it's the complete opposite energy. I think that's why you started with the Mountain Dew because it's, it's literally like a like upside down inverse of our usual vibe. Yeah, but this yeah, is you, the first time I've ever been nervous to talk about a video game on this show. It almost feels like if I yeah, it feels like I'll end up in it if I talk about it. Too much. <laughs> but I say all that because you told me to play until a certain point before we record. You're like, I really need you to experience this before before we do this um i think we'll also probably do another episode about this i could see us doing either like you know just a full once we're done with it just to do a full episode about it or maybe do a bonus we'll we'll 
we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But yeah. for now, my plan already is to play it again when I'm done with it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll explain why. I think maybe more in spoilers. <laughs> cool. Um. So yeah, I think let's let's like just like do it. You know? Yeah. Let's so. let's do the the easiest part, which is talking about what this game is and how it plays. <laughs> Oh boy. So I would say like if you if you really force me to confine it to the to the easiest framing device, I would say like you mentioned earlier, it has most roots in a point and click adventure. At least in the beginning. It yeah. it plays a lot like a point and click and it's extremely dialogue heavy and it's very writing heavy. Uh to the point where, you know, we, we've talked about games. I think I think you can probably draw a direct line from this game in influence to games like Night in the Woods, Oxenfree. Oxenfree in particular. Oxenfree takes a more comedic coming-of-age route, but like the supernatural stuff of Oxenfree, I think, is very much inspired by this game. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the sort of like vague ghosts in old media kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mechanically, point and click. Thematically, you know, a lot of magic realism, a lot of Southern Gothic stuff. It has a lot of clear inspirations in writing there's even a lot of direct nods like there's references to uh plays like rosencrantz and guildenstern are dead there's references to faulkner there's references to you know a lot of magic realism authors from from latin america and the south yeah Uh, from what i've been reading apparently every person or thing with a name is a reference to something yeah yeah um it's it's very purposeful in that it's it's very much honoring its influences um, and of course there are, I, I feel like I'm always torn to describe things as Lynchian because I feel like that's become the like go-to word for something that is magical realist, yeah. but like it, it does have a little bit of that too. Like it does have like, yeah, I, I think um, of all the times you could ever, uh, link David Lynch <laughs> to a piece of media that isn't made would... by David Lynch. It's probably Kentucky Route zero. Like that feels <laughs> pretty fucking apt. Yeah. Um, it has that sense of of purposeful detachment where whenever you're talking to someone, it feels like you're not really having the same conversation. Yeah. Um. And, and, and rarely, every now and then you have like that brief sigh of relief of like actually talking to someone who understands where you're coming from. But the game does a lot to change like. You all you play mostly as this as this older gentleman named Conway, who is a delivery truck driver. Um, And that's like basically the whole plot of the game is you are Conway and you got to make a delivery. And it starts off at a gas station and the gas station attendant says you have to take the you have to take route zero to get there. Whenever it says route zero, it's in like creepy font. Um, yeah, it's like, which it's is, like a shimmery, hazy, like foggy font. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it sounds trite, but it really is effective. And especially because they reuse that font for other things uh, later, which is, which is effective. But um, that's really it. Everything, everything kind of that happens is on top of that mission. And even that mission is sort of like, you don't really get a sense of like how urgent or important that delivery is. It's basically a red herring in a way. Yeah. It it really is. Yeah. It's kind of a, um, it's kind of a MacGuffin like, like five dogwood drive, which is the address you're trying to get to is kind of the MacGuffin for the rest of the the story to happen. I've seen a lot of people, um, compare this to the Odyssey. Sure. Yeah. Which, you know, 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I mean, and that because, just is because it's, it's less about making it to five dogwood drive than it is about the people that you meet along the way, which like it sounds dumb, but like <laughs> that's what it is. Um, no, for sure. And that 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 kind of uh, that those familiar elements, I think, are what make the game so effective because everything else is so out there yeah. that you are grounded by like there there is a very simple hero's journey happening amidst like all the like dr- truly dreamlike events happening here. Um, yeah. I think I think it's worth pointing out like we've talked a lot about games that are very dialogue heavy and writing centric but this game like the writing on display here is just so fucking good to the point where like i've often just taken pictures of the screen and sent it to you being like this is amazing like these yeah the The amount of screenshots i have saved in my switch of just like pure like the whole screen is just text and i'm like wow i'm floored by what's happening here yeah there is a world in which this is just a book you know and it feels oftentimes while playing it like it is a book um like if you're a person who uh doesn't want to know anything more about this game before you go play it uh if we've somehow already sold you on it uh i would say like just do like one act or interlude per day is how i would recommend yes. doing it like don't yes like treat it really like it is a book like especially if you're playing it on switch just like sit down in a chair or on your couch or something or like curl up in bed and just like do an act or a chapter before you go to sleep uh, or something actually definitely before you go to sleep that's definitely the way to do it but yeah it 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 is uh just like impeccable writing because i played so many games like this mm-hmm. um not not like this like this but a lot of games that are trying to do like a similar kind of point and click adventure vibe um where the writing just isn't on this level and that's kind of where it loses me um yeah. in the case of kentucky route zero just everything is so like ratcheted up to to 10 like the uh, in terms of quality that it's it's kind of hard to put it down in a lot of instances like it really is a page turner um, yeah i forget where i saw this i saw somebody mentioned somewhere on the internet right when right when it came out i think it might have been a tweet or something i saw somebody say the next great american novel is a video game and it's called kentucky Route zero and that's like very much how i feel about this and it's interesting too because i feel like i feel like a lot of other like you know, Night in the Woods and Oxenfree, even though those are very dialogue heavy, writing heavy games, they they feel more like you're watching a, a movie or a TV show. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of games that are this writing heavy usually lend themselves to be because I think video games are inherently a visual medium. But this really does come as close to a book as a game could be. And at the same time, though, it does it never forgets that it's a game especially in the later acts i think the first act you could argue like and we'll talk about that in the next part i don't want to say too much but the first act just while we're talking about this is more grounded in the sense that like it kind of plays how you would expect it to play if you knew if you know what the game is vaguely right you know you're 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 interacting with environments in sort of a point and clicky way and then a lot of the first act is just driving around. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get too into the descriptions because I want to say I'm struggling of to to find what to say in this moment, which yeah. is also oddly in 
in par with the game's tone, which is fucking my brain right now. (laughs) Everything I'm saying is like a weird, vague descriptor that matches exactly the dialogue in this game. But a lot of the first act is like little vignettes of text. And I think what I would say, if you want to give this game a shot, get comfortable with the idea that like not everything is going to have like a payoff that you might that you might be used to in a video game. You know, I think a lot of games like this might have like either, you know, not even like a jump scare or anything, but like, you know, it's not going to like I think with games in general, we're conditioned to like want certain payoffs for doing certain things. And this game often leaves you with just a moment that like it's up to you to kind of fill in the gaps. Yeah. Um that's like I think what good fiction does often. It's purposeful. It's not it's not it's not vague in the sense that you don't know what's happening, but what you walk away feeling or or thinking is kind of up to you in a lot of in a lot of those smaller moments. Yeah. Um but the game is really setting a foundation in the first act that it will build upon in ways you can't fathom in the later acts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The um, um I I think to drill down a little bit further into the actual like moment to moment gameplay. So you are like, at least on the switch version, you're using an analog stick to move around a character yeah. and generally at least in act one, that's Conway and in other acts, it will be other people uh, occasionally. Uh, sometimes you'll even switch back and forth between characters. Like while you're in the process of moving one of them, it'll like the camera will just pan and suddenly you're moving someone else. Very bizarre. Um, but you're moving stuff around uh, and you're, you know, just like clicking on objects, but mostly you're just talking to people in yeah. beautiful places. Uh, that's kind of the vibe here. Um, and when you're talking to people, you will see a, a text box open up where, you know, some people are talking back and forth and then a bunch of dialogue options will show up and they'll be yellow. Generally, what you've experienced in other video games that have dialogue trees, there are a couple routes that this could take where one of them is like a Bioware adjacent one where you are role playing as a, as a person that you've created or whatever. Um, and you are, uh, as the player, your, your version of player agency is that you are trying to exert that onto this person that you've created and saying, I am steering this person towards the good or bad ending. And I'm going to pick right. the one that is obviously the good choice, uh, over the bad choice. Or alternatively also like I would say a very Bioware thing is I'm talking to this person to try and get information from them, and when I pick a choice, I will see where that leads, and it'll take me back to, like, the hub kind of uh, decision tree, and, and maybe that choice that I picked before is gone, and now I can ask the other two questions that were available to me before, and I can get all of the information out of this person before I back out of this conversation and move on. That is absolutely not what is happening in Kentucky Route Zero. No, no. Um, this game is presenting you with, like, between, you know, two to three to sometimes four options, and you pick that one option, and it is completely unclear to you where that's going to take you and you will never get a chance to ask a follow-up question or to go back and see where the other paths would have led you um which i think is kind of brilliant on the other hand there's the other version of doing this which is like a telltale version of this yes where somebody is present or you're being presented with an option that's like uh okay you're playing the walking dead and you have a gun you have to kill either this person or this person or something i don't know and and you have to make that decision uh, and you make that decision and then somebody in the background, you know, you get like a close up on their face and they give you like a little, huh? And then on the top, it says like, you know, what's your name is going to remember that. Um, this game is also not doing that. 
this game is keeping track of the things that you're choosing. And in some ways, that stuff is manifesting in meaningful ways. But in some ways, it kind of doesn't even matter what you're choosing. Because in a way, um, without getting too heady about this too early on, I think, uh, in a way, this game is saying some stuff like maybe even about like fate and, and decision making in real life where, you know, you can pick from, you know, three different options uh, when this bad thing happens to Conway, when you're talking about how he's describing the feeling of the bad thing that's happening to him. Um, and and it, it may seem like you're exerting player agency, but in the end, it all leads to the same place. Um, and that's not yeah. a detractor from this game, because it no, sounds no, like no. Cause I think if you're going and expecting it to be a Bioware or a Telltale style of narrative design, you might want that and you might be bummed out when it's not that. And I I promise you that what Kentucky Route Zero is doing is extremely different, extremely new, and just as valuable, maybe even more valuable in a lot of ways, because by doing that, it's also commenting on the things that you would be expecting out of it. It's a paradigm shift in, in narrative design. Absolutely. It's not it's not a gotcha thing where it's like you're not led to believe that your choices are going to have these consequences and then they don't like that's not what they're doing. Right. It's it's more like interactive fiction in the sense where you're sort of adding your own flavor to to what is being written. Yeah. Um, I have here a screenshot where at one point you were controlling what the phone is saying to a character that's in your group. Yes. And the choices are silence radio music or distant traffic sounds and that kind of sums up like the choices you're given i think the most agency you have is naming your dog in the very beginning you know because that's i think that's the first option you get right like that's the first decision that they give you and and you choose that and you expect that to be like kind of unimportant but that ends up weirdly being the most important choice you make because that's that's the only one that like very literally sticks with you throughout all five acts and and the (laughs) thing about the choices too is like they do means they can mean something to you they they mean whatever you want them to mean to you and that sounds kind of like oh cool but like truly like you're so immersed in this game at a certain point that like the agency they give you almost feels precious and it does it i think the biggest thing is that it drives conversations to happen that may not like i sent you a screenshot of a a conversation two characters were having in a graveyard that like could have not happened had i chosen to do something else and like easily one of my favorite moments in the game so far uh and like isn't this you know x will remember that or like so-and-so died and now i have to move on just like a moment and i think i think treating this game like a book and and just sort of like being hungry and receptive for those moments and like you will you really don't have to i think the first act is the only time you might have to sort of like take a step back and kind of like rewire your brain a little bit to like to expect something different but but by the second act if you're not in then the game's just not for you and that's fine i think that this is not for everyone truly but i think if you're interested in what games are doing as a medium and if you like poetry, <laughs> then you will love this game. Yeah. I, I oddly think that this game is probably like, I think people who are bigger readers will be more apt to like this game than people who play a ton of video games inherently, you yeah. know, because I, I think that so. there's, yeah. this is not, this is not going <clears> to <throat> give you what a lot of games do. And depending on, you know, what mood you're in. And, and again, like, this is not like a... No judgments if it's if it's not for you. This is something you have to be in a very specific mood for. You have to be in the mood of like, I want to listen to Boards of Canada and read Faulkner at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's yeah. the mood you have to be in for this. Um yeah. I think it, um 
I, I don't think it spoils too much to to mention two specific things. Number one, I think in Act One is the only real puzzle that I've seen in the game, at least thus far, going all the way through Act Three. Well, it's worth mentioning that. So, like, even in terms of like being a point and click adventure, it is, there's also no like puzzle elements. You're not like collecting a bunch of items and like figuring out weird ways to use them and stuff. You really are just moving characters around and talking to people and choosing dialogue options and just seeing what unfolds. It's worth noting that's like kind of bucking that trend as well. Um, but I, th- I think a great example of of uh, where the dialogue takes you and, and how you're exerting your own agency over it and like whether that matters or not that that it um, that it's keeping track of it is <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a moment when you have to type a password into a computer. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I was was just Brendan. I was literally just thinking about this because I was thinking about getting my switch for after the break and like having screenshots ready. Yeah, I I will share the poem. Okay, cool. But we'll share that later. Um. Yeah, but uh, so you have to type a password in a computer and and uh, at a gas station, and the guy who owns the gas station, you ask him like, "Hey, what's the computer?" He's like, "Oh, it's uh it's like this poem. It's this famous poem. Like, you'll know it. You'll know it when you get there. Like, it, it just just start typing, and it'll come to you." Um, and all the dialogue options are just different pieces of a poem, and you can choose whatever pieces you want, and it'll all fit together and it'll all make a poem that like kind of makes sense. But at the end of the day, like, that's not a puzzle. Like, in any other adventure game, that would be a puzzle moment where it'd be like, you have to figure out what is the best poem that, like, you know, that this gas station attendant may or may not uh, have written and made the password to his computer so you can unlock the map to find out where Route 65 is to find the zero. Like, all this stuff. That is not the case here. It is just, like, whatever it feels like to you in that moment is the correct answer and is the password. So whatever you choose is correct. And that kind of sets the stage for the entire game. Like, whatever exactly. you choose I think is that correct. I think that yeah. moment is maybe the, one of the best examples of, like, how this game is, is, treating, uh, is treating choice as a player where where i I've, I've seen it described as um what is it you're not you're not writing the script you're directing the script in this game which i, I think is pretty interesting like for example I, I think one of the things that i think is an open question and i i still don't know the answer and the more i play the more i'm like trying to kind of ask this question over and over again is like if there's a moment in which conway is talking to another character and that character asks something about conway's life and there are three options that show up on screen and they're all different, different like anecdotes that Conway could mention about his life that are completely unrelated. I am starting to wonder myself, just because of the way this game is treating these dialogue options, like if I pick one of those, does that mean that that's the true one and the other two were lies or are they all true? And I just picked the one that felt best to me in that moment. Like, wow, I think there are yeah. moments in this game where because we haven't even mentioned this, but there are moments where you will be, uh, you know, it's, it's Conway and another character talking to a third character and, and you will be having a conversation back and forth Conway and this third character. And then in the dialogue options, there will be two, uh, two choices that you can pick that are Conway and one that's a different character. So suddenly you're changing who the protagonist of this moment is, or you're choosing who you're playing as and who is speaking up and who is staying silent in these moments and like that in itself uh is helping you characterize these people um you know choosing to say like okay this is this is not conway's time to speak anymore like he's he's said enough in this moment like now let's move over here and that's i think where that idea of you're directing not writing the script is coming from but I, i i keep asking myself that question like what is what is the true thing that's happening here um 
And does that even matter? I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, one moment that stands out, I won't I won't say the context it's in, so I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a moment where you can choose to remember or regret. <laughs> yes. And that's like both those have equal have equal power and there's a common image in the game of just things being cyclical you know like things being like a full circle and and that that aids a lot of the themes in the game and i think there is a lot of merit to the idea that like you're not choosing what's true you're just choosing what is happening uh in the moment and and a lot of it too like I mean, the idea of, of having a choice between uh, radio music, distant highway sounds, or like uh, nothing or whatever. Mm-hmm. What, what was it? I want to find the exact. Yeah, it was, it was silence, radio music, or distant traffic sounds. Like that kind of sums it up. That's like the most abstract you can make the the dialogue choices in this game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I would really, in, just in terms of like what the game is and, and who would enjoy it, I, I usually try to think about like, what way to frame a game in terms of like how I would recommend it. But I think I truly think like if you're interested in games pushing the boundaries of like what the medium itself can do, absolutely check this out. If you're new to games, oddly enough, I do think this is also a cool one to check out because like there really isn't, you know, I, I think with a game like Sekiro, it's hard to recommend like, you know, jump into this one. Cause like, right. Right. If you're right. not, if you haven't played video games, you're just not going to have the muscle memory to like, you know, eventually you'll be fine, but there's just a lot to ask of someone. Whereas this game is like, you know, if you can read a book, you can play this game. Like there's not yeah. really much to do past, like just interacting with the environment. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying like, oh, you have to be good at video games, but just you know, there's not like a barrier of entry here. So I think mm-hmm. like anyone could just play through and each act is like an hour and a half. I think, uh, again, opposite of three houses. This is just dude. A very I could dense... not tell you how long any of this stuff is. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I was playing act one, like the day it like came out, so. I got home and I started playing yeah. act one and I was in the middle of it. I was like literally in the middle of it. Um, there, there's a moment where. You're in a house and you're leaving the house, I think, for the second time. Um, and you're making your way down the path from the house to your truck and the camera zooms out and there's like a band playing. It's like the first like kind of musical moment. Yeah, that happens. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was so like content in that moment, just listening to that music and, and the sound of like cars kind of going by every once in a while in the background. And you can hear crickets chirping and like frogs in like a pond nearby and stuff. And I just like sat there for a while and just like let that happen and wash over me like the audio design in this game is just impeccable oh unbelievable yeah. um and i yeah. i fell asleep while I, while that was happening <laughs> and i woke up i don't know when i don't know when uh somebody called me uh, and i i picked up the phone i was like whoa they're like were you asleep i was like yeah they're like are you on your couch right now i was like yeah it's like it sounds like you're outside i was like no it's a video game and i just like you know talked for a bit and then i hung up and then i just kept playing for a while um i and finished act one and i don't know how long that took <laughs> like i don't know but that weirdly that experience that i had while playing like getting so Perfect. lost in the sound that i fell asleep and woke up and had like an ethereal dreamlike finish to act one is exactly how you, you need went, to play you, this game i think you went on the zero in real life yes yeah <laughs> uh, mike so i i mentioned before that i play with my friend eric who's a big fan we got <laughs> we picked up a six pack at this place near me that like, you can build your own and they have like a bunch of microbrews and stuff and we got to we got a thematically appropriate six pack where one beer was literally called conway's like brew or something great, great lakes yeah. perfect his face is also oddly like kind of polygonal with like mm-hmm. sort of just blocks of paint 
And then the other one was Song of the Open Road. Uh, corny, Perfect. I know, but it really worked out. And like, yeah, it's great. This friend of mine, I watched him play through Undertale. So we just had this weird tradition of like one of us experiencing a piece of media that means way too much to the other. Uh, <laughs> and he was, I kind of appreciated having someone who was like that passionate near me because like it kind of grounded me and kept me going in moments that I might have gotten a little lost. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it was almost like he was like my Virgil into this weird Faulknerian hell that I was entering. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would really, I, at first I have to say like, I mean, I don't think there's a, I don't think act one is inherently weaker than the rest. I think it just gets better and better, but I do think that I felt a little bit more strongly in the beginning that this could be, uh, I think I called, um, death stranding a cilantro game where I'm like, this might be for you. It might be not. There's really no way to know. I feel like this is probably more, accessible oddly enough but like it's also such a specific experience like there's no no shame if like you play i i would say like if you're curious enough to get it beat the first act and if you if you aren't in then it's probably not for you i would say i would say like if you get to the end of the first act and you're not curious then like you know it's probably not for you but otherwise like buckle up you're in for a treat yeah, there's a moment, the 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 musical moment in Act One like really stuck with me, and then um, I don't want to say what what the interlude between Acts One and Two is. It's called Limits and Demonstrations. Um, but there's a there's a thing that happens in that where where the game itself kind of peels away, and you're just choosing options for a while. That was like it for me. That was that was when I was like completely in. So it did it did take me that long. And like, I would say probably that by the time I finish this, this might be like one of the best games I've ever played in my life. Like if yeah, it continues yeah. being this good, like it might be one of the best games of all time. Just just unbelievable on every front. But even so, it took me a little while to like fully, I think, uh, lock into it. I mean, you even mentioned earlier, like we both we both like either had or played the game and just didn't keep going with it for whatever right. reason yeah. so like this is that that type of experience where like i think you do have to kind of commit a night to it even more than like you would you know a, a different game this is the kind of game you like have to like be like okay i'm shutting off all the lights and, I, and, and in terms of genre it's not it's not horror at all but it's it's definitely unsettling it, it's very much like you know you know, I, I would compare it to like a again David Lynch esque. I would compare it to like any kind of like psychological magic realist piece. Yeah. Um. I I'll say this. Um. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll say this. This is not. Uh. Before we get into the spoiler section, I think the game doesn't need to lean into the horror elements because please forgive me for saying this out loud, but the true horror is capitalism. <laughs> And that's what the game is about. Uh, I think it's more about like it's it. There's not like there's there is maybe one jump scare that I've experienced in the game. Uh, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. I will get so to maybe the I didn't half. see it. Okay, yeah, you definitely did. But like, there's one thing that I would argue is like, oh shit, that's happening. But like, it's not. It's by no means a horror game, and I think it's it's just something that like will give you weird dreams. Uh, I'm struggling for the right word to describe it, but like that's the best I can do. It's going to give you weird dreams. Buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Ethereal. It. It's an ethereal video game. It's an ethereal experience. Uh, and it has profoundly affected my whole vibe since I started playing. It. I will say this. Um, there are oddly moments that remind me of Control. And 
uh, or certain settings rather. And I bring that up because not to pit them against each other, but like control is a game that also deals with sort of the surreal and dreamlike stuff. And it does it well in the moments it does it well. Yeah. But like the core game almost feels too concrete that like it takes me out of the more surreal because, parts of it. Yeah. Because so much of control is about like, wow, isn't this weird is yeah. like, is like pointing at it and saying like, bet you didn't expect this to happen. Like, not yeah. that that's bad, because it is fun and enjoyable. Yeah, and it's a different It's cool seeing the weird thing. Yeah. But Kentucky Route Zero, the, the, the thing that's interesting about, about its, like, more fantastical elements is how fucking mundane it is yeah. when it happens. Like, right. to you, the player, it's like, holy shit. But to everyone in the game, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. Of course. That's They're all kind of used to it. Yeah, and that that's super effective. I mean, there is, like... Without spoiling too much, there is like a bureau of paranormal shit in the game. That's yeah. kind of what reminded me of 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 uh, control. And like like you said, in that place, everyone just accepts what's happening. Right. Um. And you know, I think there's maybe one character in the group that's like kind of an analog for the audience, but they're never like they never do the thing where they're like, "Whoa, that's so weird." They're just sort of like more grounded. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I, I bring that up because I had similar feelings about uh, Inception and the movie Paprika. Have you seen mm-hmm. that? No, I haven't. Uh, it's an anime film. It's yeah. really good, and Chris Nolan has cited it as like one of the main influences for Inception. And I bring that up because that also deals with dreams and the surreal. And I think inherently, if it's an animated movie, you can do more stuff with that. It can be more surreal. Um, something I kind of I liked Inception, but I found it disappointing in the sense that like the actual dreams were just like interwoven action sequences. Yeah. The deepest layer of your unconscious is just like a, a James Bond snow action right, right, scene. Right. Whereas, yeah, maybe like, Chris Nolan's. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but Paprika, like. They, it's it's also about a group of scientists investigating dreams, but like there's these weird kind of liquid parades of just like various iconography, and like the person in a throne like eventually like melts into like it's very weird. It's it's a great movie. I would highly recommend it. And I think I think that Kentucky Route Zero is giving me that like genuine surrealness that I that I liked but didn't get enough of in games like Control. Yeah, um, it reminds me a lot. Um, just just thinking of analogs, it reminds me a lot of Annihilation. Um, yes, 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 absolutely. Yes, mo- almost more specifically, the the book, the book Annihilation. Uh, for those of you who don't know, is about a group of scientists who go into a place called I think Sector X or Area X or something like that. Um, and they go in, and and the book is told from the point of view of a biologist who, or or a scientist, some kind of scientist who is like literally just writing down her experiences as like a report. It's like her journal of what's happening. And at a certain point, like it just becomes harder and harder to describe what's happening because it becomes more and more surreal. It's just like this this thing that's called the shimmer. And she's just like, I don't I don't even know what I'm seeing. I'm going to try and describe it the best that I can. But like we're all changing and everything in here is changing. It's, it's so fucked. Um, and and the way the screenplay was written for the film adaptation of it uh, was uh, Alex Garland, the guy who wrote and directed the the film. He read the book once and was like, I felt like I dreamt that whole thing. I'm not going to read this again. And I'm going to try and write as accurate a script as I possibly can based on what I remember yeah. from that like dreamlike experience I just had. And in that, the the film feels like a, a dreamlike representation of what the book was, which was a dreamlike representation of the thing that was happening in the narrative. Yeah. And, and while all of that, while those things kind of uh, coexist and reference one another in, in a, in a, a place that kind of like is horror tinged, 
if you were to take the horror elements out of Annihilation and you just left the surreal, that is what Kentucky Route Zero is. That that's a very long uh, game of telephone I just played to get to where we are. No, but, but it, it's a yeah. it's a hard game for de- to describe as simple as the framing devices, which I think is how brilliant it is. Like I think yeah. it, I think it's effective, and I think all great kind of surrealist artists usually frame their work in these really like simple frames so they can have fun with everything around it. Right. You know, like you compare it to the Odyssey, you, you can't get more classic than that. Literally, there's a, I mean, God. I could go on and on about Kentucky Route Zero, uh, and I will. <laughs> I think we plan on weird it. episode. Yeah, should we um, should we stop trying to to talk about this without talking about specifics? And I think we're I think we've basically done the best we can to describe what it is without torturing the the dear listener and being like, <laughs> it's kind of like a game, but it's not fun. Um, <laughs> it's scary and weird. But yeah, in terms of recommendation, like I. I Brendan and I are both very uh, conscious of a lot of people have said that they buy games because we like them. And that's very, very flattering. But we're also extremely anxious about anyone spending money based on our opinions. But I will say that this game is a little is a little cheaper than a normal triple A, you know, default $60 game. I think it's like $30 for the whole thing. You know, I would say, like, be honest with yourself. I think, you know, if, if you're in the headspace for something like this, pick it up. If not, maybe wait or maybe watch like some videos of it and, and see and go from there. I think you could probably do well with watching a little bit of it before you get it because it's a similar experience, you know, like. Yeah, just uh, watch some of Act One. Yeah. Because, like, and you're then, not really. There's not really a lot of plot happening in Act One. It's more yeah, just set up. Um, right. But you'll you'll at least get a vibe for it. We didn't even talk about like the visual design of this game, which is also just like Incredible. stupendous in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah, um, very minimalist, but like very effective. Um, yeah, just so good. And and I think this star really is the sound design. I mean, the soundtrack is great, but like just the ambient sounds of the road and like there's a lot of points in Act One where you'll read vignettes of places you stop by and and the screen might gradually fade to black and it's just text yeah. and you're hearing stuff. Uh, Nier Automata did some of this too, which I thought was really effective for like some parts of that game are just entirely text-based and like that can be, uh, that can be a really effective way. Uh, you know, I think alongside a cutscene, I think sometimes it's having like a wall of text could be equally effective. Yeah. I do um, remember a lot of people comparing Nier to Kentucky Red Zero when it came out. Um, and yeah, it, I get it. Oddly now. enough, oddly enough, yeah. In terms of just like pushing the boundaries of what a game can do, um, in terms of core gameplay, you cannot get more night and day <laughs> than to yeah. be like fighting dozens of robots with a giant sword and Conway like slowly walking to a bar. But right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like in term, oddly enough, in terms of just the experimental tenacity of the game and the sort of like uh, I, the the clearest parallel I would draw is the constant change in perspective that like really really tenacious wheel of just shifting perspective in every definition like Nier does that with genre of game just by moving the camera never mind playing as different characters uh and and we'll as we'll get into with Kentucky Red Zero you have that shift in perspective with the characters and you also have a graphical shift uh which we'll talk about more I think in the second half um but I'll leave you with that little little teaser if you're going to keep listening and if not uh check it out and if not that's also cool there's a lot of other games that we both really like that we'll probably talk about again so yeah 
no worries if you're not going to go on the zero. It's kind of a cursed place. I don't even. I feel like I'm in a very strange mood because of this game. So maybe it's not a good thing. But I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> <laughs> I feel weird. It might be a bad feeling, but I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, it's real good. Um, cool. It Let's feels good break. to bad. It feels good to feel bad. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm gonna grab my switch to have my screenshots ready, and we're just gonna talk about I think the first few acts. Yeah, and then uh, conclude. So I'll see you after the break. See you soon, listener. Bye. Steven, we're back uh, in hell. We're back oh. in hell uh, to talk about kind of more specifics for Kentucky Route Zero. So th- yeah. this is a, a spoiler section. Um, we are going to talk about acts one through three and the interludes that happen between them. Uh, those are limits and demonstrations and the entertainment. Thank you also just for bearing with us. It was so hard to talk about this game without saying specifics. Yeah. It was like describing a dream without saying what happened you know <laughs> yeah. it's like i was asleep but i wasn't like i was sort of seeing something that was real but it was real to me even if it doesn't really have an effect on when i wake up but it could linger um anyway yeah. act one baby act i just love i love this because now that we can talk about specifics i can get to my notes which have things like are all games staged performances <laughs> and i can talk about why i wrote that yeah Oh, oh god i have my notes too god i have so many like i have like a manic amount of documents for this section yeah um which is kind of interesting so usually i sometimes take notes but i usually feel like i want to i want to be free on this show you know i want to feel loose um yeah yeah same (laughs) (laughs) going back actually going back to the very first choice uh that you get to make in this game where you're choosing uh so the what's his name joseph who who runs the gas station i think is his name yeah joseph 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 asks you uh your dog's name and you have three options and it's uh blue uh she's what is it uh blue she's an old gal with the with an even older hat like an even she older drool, yeah, hat. and she drools a lot I think. she drools a lot yeah. yeah um the other one is homer uh and then there's a third option which is doesn't have a name don't know whose dog this is just like came along for the ride um, yeah, which I think is also really interesting. But uh, what I wrote in my notes here was because um, I, I picked blue because that Same. just felt like the obvious choice personally. Yeah. Um, but I, I was driving uh, the other night, just thinking about this game and thinking to myself, just because of all the Odyssey connections and stuff, I was like, ah, maybe I should have picked Homer. Like maybe maybe Homer should yeah. have been the choice. And what I wrote in my notes because it's a real thing that happened. Magical realism is thinking I should have named the dog Homer my drive home, then suddenly seeing someone I've never seen before walking a dog wearing a bright, light-up blue collar outside my house. Oh my god. I love that. What are the odds? I was, like, literally (laughs) thinking, like, maybe I should have named it Homer. Like, blue is fun, but, like, Homer is a little bit more significant, I think, in terms of, like, connection. And this dog, I've never seen a dog wearing a collar that was, like, was, like, like, beaming blue light out of its neck it was so it was a sign you made the right blue blue is the right choice I yeah mean, can i agree say that safely anyway um, um let, let's talk a little bit more specifically about act one um yeah so it's so, it's you as joseph uh showing up at this gas station you are delivering uh what you'll later find out is potentially maybe your last ever delivery for an antique shop yeah. um right yeah, who I think is implied or confirmed to be your ex-wife, right? Or your, oh, is it? 
I think so. Well, there's oh, that. There's that. We'll get to the scene in, in the beginning of Act Three. That might be a choice you've made. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm confusing names, but like, there's definitely like a family that Conway is somehow adrift from. But anyway, uh, Act One opens to this very like, uh, Art Deco esque gas station with like a giant like statue head of a horse. Yes. Um, and uh, th- this is oddly where it plays kind of like you expect, like you walk around. It's really beautiful. The The lighting is like really purposeful and, and, and the character silhouettes are simple. Uh, they're like, you know, kind of faceless polygonal. Th- they look like unfinished Final Fantasy seven sprites. It's like, like yeah. the first the first go at FF seven sprites with like have a lot like, of anti aliasing, so they don't look as polygonal. Like they they look smooth even though they're angular. Yeah, um, which is nice. But usually the the camera is from far away, so the fo- you you kind of always look like a smaller part of a bigger environment. Um, yeah, and so you you talk to Joseph and you have you know you can choose your dialogue. I think the, one of the first things like we said is you name your dog. Um, in this case, we both named her Blue. Uh, basically, Joseph, after some chatter, tells you that you have to take the zero. Uh, what's the address you have to go to? I'm sure that's like a reference to some like five dogwood play. drive. Yeah, I'm sure like everything in this game is a reference to some like really specific thing. Also worth noting, just real quick, like my friend Eric, who followed this game from day one, they released like a lot of other media alongside the game like, in between acts like uh we mentioned that the interlude between act one and two uh, we'll get into is a museum exhibit and mm-hmm. they like mailed around pamphlets like for that as if it was a real thing happening like awesome really really cool but anyway act one scene one uh it is divided mm-hmm. in that way it is uh, which yeah. already kind of sets literally sets the stage as if it's a play which we'll also get into but Con- uh joseph tells conway you got to take the zero um, you have to get the directions from his computer, uh, which uh, this, again, is like probably the only puzzle in the game. You go into the gas station and you go into the basement and there are three uh, there are three people playing what resembles D&D. Yeah, um, you can talk to them, but they don't hear you. And they're talking about how the game has an element of randomness to it because that's what keeps it exciting. That's the part I really retain from it. Mm-hmm. Um and those three people, I think, do you remember their names? I know Ben is one of them, who's actually one of the main composers of the game. Uh, uh, the I believe it's designers. Emily, Ben, and I want to say Robert. That makes that sounds about right. Uh, because they're the they're the people in Limits and Demonstrations. Yeah, and they're also the band that pops up periodically. Yes, uh, great, great. So they're playing something that resembles D anD D, and uh, they're they're missing a dice. They're missing their D twenty. Uh, 20-sided dice uh for those yeah. of you who aren't nerds we should, all, we should also say that joseph gives you a lantern and when you go down into the into the basement of the gas station you turn the lantern on and they are playing D in the dark in the dark like, that's right they they yes. were playing D in the dark and then you were bringing the lantern there the reason the power is out is because uh, a a company called uh what is it consolidated power corporation I, I believe is doing this thing where they're periodically just turning off all the electricity in certain parts of Kentucky just to save money every once in a while. Um, so you are going down into the basement of this thing to turn the electricity back on uh, in the gas station. Anyway. 
Yeah, so you talk to them, and, and you can kind of talk to them as long as you want to, but they don't hear you. Like They don't interact with you, and it's clear that they're either ignoring you or they... Or you're just in different realities in some way. Yeah. Um, you find their 20-sided dice by, as you pointed out, uh, turning off the lights. It's glowing. So you can actually only find it by turning off your lantern. Right. Which, as I mentioned in the first half, is, I think, the only puzzle in the whole game that I've seen yeah. so far. <laughs> it, it absolutely is, yeah. So you find the dice, and the minute you find it, uh, they're gone. They're not there anymore. Right. Um, you can choose to put the dice on the table or keep it. I put it on the table. I also uh, put it on the table because you don't want to. You don't want to anger ghosts. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just assuming that there's something ghost esque happening here. And you, you know, turn the circuit breaker back on. You come up and you can talk to Joseph. Like, hey, are there three ghosts playing D and D in your basement? He's like, no, nah, never heard of it. Uh, <laughs> there's also some. There's also some really spooky stuff happening with his computer. Where like. You know, there are different folders you can navigate and like most of them just says like games aren't real or like there's a very specific word choice of blank isn't real happening. Yeah. Yeah. Which like, again, I think is this. It's not it's not a game that breaks the fourth wall, but it's a game that often recalibrates what media it is. Yes. Uh, it's always aware of being some type of show or game or or interactive media. Um, it's not going to be like Undertale where it's like, hey, you, the player, I know you did this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to definitely like change and, and show its bones in front of you. You know, its bones, its skeleton. It, yeah. We'll get, we'll get into Showing that. Showing its worry. bones. This is a game that really shows its bones. <laughs> anyway, act one, scene one. Uh, yeah. So eventually, uh, and you can leave whenever you want. Uh, What's interesting is that there are a lot of moments where it's like, uh, you know, if you go back to your truck, it's like, do you want to leave? You want to stay a bit longer? And the word choice changes a lot. Like, if you keep doing that, it'll be different phrases. Like, Oh, cool. It'll be like Conway, like, like you know, like, let the scenery sit in or like, isn't ready yet. Like, there's a lot. Like mm-hmm. you said before, like, what is true? It really does, like, cycle through, like, various truths. Um, yeah. And you can settle on whatever word choice sounds right to you. So then you set out, and and I think well, isn't this... that the moment where you're choosing your the the poem to get onto the computer? Oh yeah, yeah. You have to, uh, before to log into the computer, you have to. Uh, we mentioned this in the first part of the episode. You have to write a poem, basically. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, something. You're game like, is... okay, cool. I turn the power on. The, um, the computer's on, but I don't know what the password is. And Joseph's like, you'll figure it out. Just write a poem. So there are three stanzas, and you get, I think, three choices per stanza. Uh, my poem I have right here ended up being... Do I you hope have it's yours? the same as mine. Uh, can you imagine? I'll actually be... I'll, I'll be fucked up if it's the same. <laughs> okay, go for it. I'm going to read mine. The stars drop away. The moon throbs. It will only get later. Wow, that is not mine. Okay, what's yours? Uh, I was about to get freaked out because uh, mine is the stars drop away. It's late. You just breathe road. That's really cool. Yours is a little bit more tenacious. Mine's a little bit more like defeated, I think, <laughs> which I think sums us both up pretty well. Um, that's not uh, true. I'm not I, defeated. But then regardless of what you're choosing at the end of it, it says password accepted. Yeah, it takes it. Yeah, it takes anything. And, which is great. Um, and then and then that is when you you get to uh, the directions to 
not um not the zero right you're getting the directions to marquez's farm right because Uh, there's somebody on the farm who might know how to get to the zero and joseph says i have this old tv if you could take this to weaver marquez who lives at this farmhouse uh she will fix the tv for you or she'll know someone who can fix the tv for you uh and on top of that she might have directions to the zero Uh, yeah and And of course that's when you head out the directions are like, you know, drive down 65 past the tree that's always on fire. The tree that's always like, burning. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I kind of took that opportunity. So uh, at that point, you see what the world map is at this point. And that's kind of just aesthetically what sealed the deal for me is like this beautiful, just like monochromatic map. And you're, you're represented as this wheel. Again, a lot of cyclical imagery. And, you know, you... When you move, it sounds like you're driving, and you can go in any direction at that point. Yeah. Um, and you might pass little iconographies that pop up, or icons, rather. Uh, and then you can interact with them, and usually you'll unlock a vignette of sorts. So, right. like, um, one that stood out, most of them are just text, and you can choose, like, you know, uh, a variety of different things. Um one was literally uh every now and then it, it will actually load like a new place that you're in and one was just two men dragging an airplane down the road <laughs> uh and have you seen this no no oh wow okay so you just get out of your it's like you and your truck and in the beams of the truck's light there is these two guys slowly dragging a small airplane across the road wow and you can look at you know it gives you a prompt to like Look at the men and look at the plane, and you look at the men, and it just says the men seem broken. Oh, and then you look at the plane, and it says like soon the wheels are gonna snap, and it's just gonna be like plane on on ground. Yeah, uh, and they're slowly just pushing this plane across the road, and you can wait until they're just off the screen, and that's it. And there's just there's a lot of moments like that in Act One where you're just sort of left like. That's that's something that happened. Yeah. Uh, more more kind of uh, a little bit more direct. Like there are a lot of extensively written passages. Like there's one church where you hear a sermon and you can walk in and there's yes. just, there's a tape recorder of a sermon being played. Right. Has the I volume know, all the way up, so it's so loud that it sounds like there's actually a sermon in there. Yeah. Yeah. And another place uh, I forgot the exact setting, but there was actually a meeting happening. And just the the details in every sentence are so like, even though it's such a weird setting, you you get exactly the vibe they're going for. Where someone poured me hot coffee into a styrofoam cup, and I'm like, I know exactly where I am somehow. Right, like hot coffee in a styrofoam cup. It's like there's such a specific word choice that like I don't even know if I've ever had that in my life. Maybe yeah, it's familiar enough yet weird enough that like i'm exactly where they want me to be right so at that point in the game you can kind of explore to your heart's content and that's where i think you know depending on how you're enjoying the game you might just go straight to where you need to but you go to the farm uh and you go up uh, the farm is really one of the more beautifully one of the more beautifully framed shots where like suddenly they play a little bit more with distance like up until the farm every environment you've been in has just been sort of a 2d left to right environment you can go up or down of uh you know in the basement but it's it's very two-dimensional yeah but with the farm they finally add kind of like a 
a, a 3D perspective, at least, where you're on the front of the farm and then you walk back through this sort of like literally a Z pattern. Uh, and then there's the farmhouse in the back and there's sort of a foreground and a background. Um, still two dimensional, but there are now two planes happening. Also worth noting at this point early on, every kind of beat of the adventure, you can talk to your dog and almost like you're writing a poem. You can kind of just choose like three sentiments to share with yeah really those moments really just exist to let you know what conway is thinking at the time yeah they're really just like a window into conway's perception of the things that are happening in that moment yeah um and and as you continue to play the game and as it gives you the ability to play as other uh other people in your like i almost wanted to say party like this is an rpg but you know what i mean kind of is i know what you mean um those moments just give you an opportunity to understand where they're coming from i guess uh, as they talk to Blue. Yeah. So then you, you go into the farmhouse and you meet Weaver Marquez, who is a very, like, clearly hyper-intelligent person, but a little strange. Yeah. And she'll ask you, like, eight wildly different questions at the same time, but also has all the answers. So, like, she knows you're looking for the zero before you even say it. Right. And, like, really weird music is playing as you talk to her. She says a line that stood out to me, which, like, I'll bring up later, but she's like, I... Because it's mentioned that her cousin, uh, so you bring her the TV that that Joseph lent to you, um, and the TV's broken, and she's like, my cousin repairs TVs. We used to be the same age, but now she's older than me. Which, like, mm-hmm. that's the kind of way this character speaks. Yeah. Um, clearly, something's going on with Weaver. Uh, <laughs> uh, she she's both like your guide and also like just so so out there, right? So she's like basically like I don't know if you're ready to go on the zero. I prefer if you found my cousin and repaired my TV first. Um, but anyway, either way, and this is again like kind of the illusion of choice. Um, she tells you where. Uh, her cousin would be at a bait shop. She fixes TVs in the back. This is another weird, long written thing where in the bait shop, you can just choose to have Conway stick his hand in three different fish tanks. And one of the fish tanks, he gets bitten by a fish that like gives you a really important flashback of his life. (laughs) It's so weird. Wild. But no, but Shannon's not there. So you eventually go to where the zero is, uh, where, you know, Weaver tells you that the the ramp off for the zero is like past another kind of like I think it's the right after the artificial limb factory like yes everything is <laughs> so specific and bleak but also intriguing so you do that and then you end up at the entrance of the mines uh, which also like at the bait shop on the door Shannon's like I'm at the mines be back later and you meet Shannon who. I would say I don't want to use the word normal, but Shannon is by far like the one voice of reason in this game. I think mm. like she's the one character who like kind of has her shit together and by all means is is not an analog for the audience because she very much has her own story going on. But I think like it's in the moment you meet Shannon that the, that the perspective switches for the first time. Yeah. So uh, when Conway goes to the mines, Shannon is on the phone with someone. And you don't hear who's on the phone or what they're saying, but you can choose what Shannon is saying in response to them, which ranges from like angry and hanging up to like, no, you're right. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. 
And then Conway shows up and Conway actually speaks independently of you for the first time. And he's like, hey, I'm looking for the zero. <laughs> I really found this moment kind of funny because I realized how strange Conway was. Like, it, I'm like, this dude's just sort of showing up asking questions. As, asking, like, <laughs> yeah. This guy just shows up at, a, at an abandoned mine and asks the first person he finds about a, a route zero. That like maybe doesn't exist. Right. Um. But you both learn, and then it, and then it switches again. Where like sometimes you're Conway, sometimes you're Shannon, and in that interaction, you both learn that like Weaver knew you would both be there, and like right, kind of just wanted Weaver you sent meet. you there, and Weaver sent Shannon there in a way. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So you go back, but Shannon wants to check out the mines. Uh, you learn that she lost a lot of family and like people she knew like a lot of her town worked in the mine yeah and a lot of people died there so you go to explore it for a little bit also just like just a flex of audio design in this segment of like you you see if the mine is clear by using a pa system and Mm -hmm. like the the mic reverb and echo is like really effective but yeah um you explore the mines together you kind of get to know both characters a little bit more but sadly, the mines collapse at some point, and and Conway gets really injured. Um, you can play it off like like in that moment, you can choose Conway being like, oh, it's fine, you know. But like, yeah. no matter what you say, his leg is fucked up, and right. and like that is the point where Conway kind of shifts from like being your de facto protagonist to like sort of like the inciting event for the rest of the plot because he's like kind of not in great shape <laughs> yeah. and his deteriorating health is, is, is a constantly bigger deal um, throughout the first couple acts. So Shannon is concerned and, and basically uh, they get out of the mind together. Shannon wants to, to sort of say goodbye to a lot of like lost souls there. They get out of the mind and you have this kind of heartwarming moment where, like, they both just decide to help each other. Um, they yeah. both decide to, like, journey together, basically. Um, and it's, you know, you... There's a moment where you, you can either choose to, like, just go right to the truck, or you could have this brief moment where Shannon helps Conway, like, kind of hobble back to the truck, and you begin your adventure together. It's Yeah. That, that, that was kind of the moment I was in. Like, that was the moment that kind of sealed the deal for me, personally. Yeah. Did you have the moment where... Um where Conway is on the like trolley and he's waiting and, and Shannon's like, Oh wait, I want to go back and check something out before we yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. I did. What I, I interpreted that moment as like something happens down in the mines there that seals it for her that she wants to come with you. Like once she settles up, whatever is happening down there, which is, you know, saying goodbye to probably her parents or whatever, you know, she, now feels like oh i don't have anything else going on so like i might as well help this guy yeah um, which I, I think is really interesting this is also um just like the larger theme of this game of of like the the effects of capitalism on society um is is like a really harrowing like kind of first foray into that because you're getting two things simultaneously one with the the deaths of all the miners where um shannon kind of reveals over time that like the reason that they all died is because the way the mine worked was you had kind of like a pseudo currency that the, that the mining company created. There were like little plastic tokens that you could earn for like doing good work. And you could use those tokens to turn the electricity on for things like, um, like an air vent 
that would uh, pump clean air into the mine. Or uh, if you wanted to use like uh, like uh, what are, what are they uh, like canaries to figure out if they were uh, toxic, whatever, like you could turn in a plastic coin and get a canary to like figure out if there was like a toxic fume in the mine or not. Um, and what ended up happening was there wasn't enough power to run all of the water pumps that were necessary to clear a flood where a flood to happen because the the um, the, the mining company just like didn't install enough or like didn't care enough to test it out and make sure that it worked. Um, and that's the reason everybody died. So they were all trying to turn off the power to the electricity in the lights to get enough power running to the air pumps. So they all just like drowned trying to pump it out and realizing in the darkness that there wasn't enough power to do so. Um, so that is like your first big harrowing moment which I think is like just a pretty like concrete, like spit in your face example of, of, of like corporate greed. Yeah. And then you have on, on the other hand, this small moment with Conway, which becomes a larger one, but you know, in the context of having played act two and three and stuff like that, um, I think it's interesting to look back on, but the moment when Conway's leg is crushed by a collapsing mine and his first response is no, I'm fine. I'll, I'll walk it off. It's going to be okay. Which is just like, that's a thing that I, at least f- for people our age, I hear a lot, you know, where not everybody has like great health insurance and, and, you know, things of that nature. Like that is such a common refrain of like, yeah, my, you know, my tooth is a little fucked up or like my foot's a little fucked up, but like, it's going to be okay. Like I'll just like walk it off. Like it'll go away eventually because like the idea of, of digging into your bank account to, get the help you need just doesn't make financial sense or like it actually is more stressful to spend the money than it is to have a tooth that's fucked forever in that moment and and this is like the seed of that and this is this is um kind of a larger theme in in kentucky route zero which they explore to great effect later on um but this is the beginning of it here and i I just think that's worth touching on because it's like so it's so uh, I don't I don't want to say profound, but it's profound in the way it explores it. I think in the way it yeah. kind of like it, it ripples out in such a natural way. We're like, oh yeah, this There's bad a- thing happened, and of course it's going to be okay. But it's not, and you know it's not in the moment when you say that it's fine. You know you know that it's not okay right then and there. But it just builds and builds and builds until it becomes untenable. Um, there are a lot yeah. of characters who are who are either blissfully ignoring or like in denial of a very pressing issue yes <laughs> uh and yeah i think i think that that's that's very true and i think in terms of the set the setting of kentucky you know in this conversation about about the effects of capitalism and corporate greed and all that like, i think like the setting just feels so kind of oddly universal yet specific i think it just when you're driving around in act one everything just feels abandoned it feels like such a forgotten abandoned place and i don't think it's specifically kentucky as much as it just is like just like a section of forgotten america yeah you know i think like i think i think kentucky is is a i'm sure there's a lot of intention behind that choice in terms of like you know the there is that very present southern gothic vibe there's a lot of folk country and the soundtrack which like isn't a genre i normally enjoy and i fucking adore the folk music in this game yeah uh, which we'll get into but that that feeling of of uh of capitalist oppression isn't like isn't 
in the spotlight it is in a game like Outer Worlds, but it's so present in like it's almost like a <laughs> it's almost like in Dark Souls you're playing in a world that was ravished by by fantastic warfare, but this is like the Dark Souls of capitalist like shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know where it's like yeah, it's I like think the I think thing that's already a- happened and you're just in it now. You know that's funny. That's funnily enough, like maybe the best way to describe it because like. I, I would argue that like it is the most prevalent thing in this game and it's hard to tell in act one, but it, it definitely like kind of ramps up over time uh, as, as the acts go on. But like that to me is what the game is tackling, especially knowing like it was created and, and conceived of like right after the recession. Like this, yeah. this is like this seems to be what they're tackling. Um, and and yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about it. We should probably like speed through act one because we're so far into this recording and we're still in act one. I mean, after the games, the decade thing, I think we can we can do whatever we want in terms of episode. <laughs> <you know? laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's not going to be like that. But I, I think yeah, we can we can pick up the pace a bit. Um, I think it's important to spend a little bit more time in Act One, just so like yeah. the foundation is set. Yeah, but um, there really isn't a lot more to it. Uh, basically, you go back to Weaver with Shannon, and she's not there, of course. Which right. like I think she's a ghost. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think Weaver Marquez is a ghost. The line, we were the same age, but now she's older than me, I think was all I needed to be like, you're a ghost. Yeah. I knew it. Um, Especially because you're primed to think like, oh, there's ghosts in this game. As soon as you meet the D&D playing people who disappear when you find their 20 sided die. I'll give Eric another shout out. But like he was with me and he and I was asking him some questions as we were playing. And he's like, I mean, half the people in this game are fucking ghosts. (laughs) 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 But, you know, uh. So you go back to her place. She's not there, but um, Shannon fixes the TV and almost akin to a play, like the the curtain opens, if you will, the sort of environment fades away and it reveals the zero, which is like this this sort of dimensional rift. It reminds me a lot of Oxenfree, the the prism almost. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of a lot of influence both before and after after this, but uh you see the zero it's like in the middle of this field and you see conway's truck drive through it and that's the end of act one yeah um it's a really it's a really good setup i i like wanted more Uh, i think it's like the perfect intro to this game honestly uh it's not the strongest act but it does everything act one needs to do to get you to where the other acts end up going yeah it's it's a wonderful foundation Um, yeah because because everything that happens from this point on is a subversion of what you just experienced in yeah. some way. Uh, everything else is yeah. a guitar solo. We had the like verse chorus of the it, it, and then it just goes <laughs> it just goes off off the rails yeah. in the best way. But yeah, so I guess we'll talk a little bit about the interlude then. Yeah, so up next is Limits and Demonstrations, which is the first interlude uh between Act One and Two. It's it's literally like an art exhibit. It is it yeah. is an art installation where it's a it's a uh, retrospective of the of the life's work of lula chamberlain an installation artist uh and sculptor um and you get to see kind of just like her entire life's work spread out before you which is very interesting it's good it's good art too which is like that's that's the funny thing about this game is that it's both it's very self-referential in its weird inner artworks um Lula Chamberlain at this point has only been briefly mentioned. If you if you like really dug in Joseph's computer at the gas station, 
there are messages from someone named Donald and Lula who are oh interesting become a bigger deal later on. Donald uh, talks a little bit, I think, about the zero or no, he talks about Xanadu, which right. and, and that's the thing. I think, I think they had this game mapped out from the very beginning. Everything is so intentional. Yeah, talks about something called Xanadu, and uh, I think either mentions Lula or there's or there's a message from Lula. But Lula Chamberlain is the artist and. Uh, there's various pieces, uh, and and the, you're playing as the three characters that were playing D and D in the very beginning, right? Uh, ben, Robert, and um, who's the third character? I want to say Emily, but all these names might be wrong. Yeah, I I forgot. I'm sorry. Everyone's a ghost. Um, but <laughs> that's the episode title. But uh, you're walking around as the as the three as those three characters who are also in the band, and they're like kind of really behaving as anyone would at, at sort of this kind of art exhibit they're commenting on like the art they like and the art that they are kind of met about or they have like mixed feelings about yeah you are while while checking this exhibit out um choosing like the the dialogue options that you're choosing in this case are um you are choosing how these people are interpreting the art which is interesting yeah. so like you yeah. can decide that like robert is fucking brilliant and like really gets art and loves art and like understand or like doesn't at all it's like i don't get why this one's in here this yeah. one's fine yeah which is really which is really interesting um yeah there's one point where there's one exhibit that's like a very pretty lengthy recording of lula this Donald one i want to talk Joseph. about yeah Th- this is also like what really sealed the deal for me and i think you know you mentioned this interlude as being like the moment that kind of like you were all in um, yeah, it was this. Yeah, this this is the this is the recording where you had the regret or remember moment, and mm-hmm. like it, it really sets up this like really interesting relationship between the three characters. There's like kind of an implied love triangle, I feel like, but it's not really what's important. What's important is that they are either researching or creating the zero in some way, um, and one of them wants to like really, at least in the moment, what I read was like one of the Donald wants to like dig deep and keep going uh lula kind of wants to stay where she is and joseph wants to leave yes and that's what happens joseph is sort of on like galaxy's edge at the gas station mm-hmm. uh, this sort of like rift between like the normal world and and the rest of the game yeah uh he's almost like you know the the gatekeeper in that way uh lula you meet um pretty early on in act two which we'll get into uh she's in the zero but in like a quasi normal setting right i can't wait to talk about that and donald's will get into an act three uh by no means in a good place (laughs) (laughs) yeah but but there's sort of these three characters that are like seemingly responsible for the state of things in some way yeah i what, what i found really interesting about uh about this piece is like the way it's the way it's portrayed in this installation is uh it's it's a bunch of magnetic recording strip that is i think glued to a wall and they give you they give you i I forget what it is i forget what it is but it's it's some kind of some kind of like magnetic uh reader that you can use and you wear headphones and you can kind of just drag it along this tape and as you do so you hear the conversations between these three characters and then it'll ask you to make a choice and then it'll say okay cool so if you choose this then go you know like uh, take the left branch of of this strip and uh, go up, you know, three inches and then turn it right or something like that. 
um, because it's this like big kind of web. It's this like big like interlocking web of magnetic strip. The thing that struck me as I was watching, or sorry, the two things that struck me as I was experiencing this. Number one was that uh, it all fades away, right? So this is another instance in which the uh, the background fades away and it's just like a black background and you're just experiencing text. The other thing that really struck me was that this could be a real art installation and would be incredible in real life. Yeah. Like yeah. this is a thing that you could actually build conceivably, um, but instead it's in this video game. Like if, if, it, if this was built in real life and actually put on display, people would go fucking nuts for it. Uh, but here it is in a free interlude, uh, fake art installation <laughs> yeah. inside a video game about a guy who needs to deliver an antique. Like, this is like, this is where this is. But in terms of the way the story tracks here, it is like pretty harrowing because it, it is, as you mentioned, like Donald really, really, really wants to go deeper into the mines, into this cave. Um, and, and he... It feels um, kind of a very strong attachment to the the task that they've been given and like feels like it's his duty to complete it, uh, you know, for better or for worse. And it's definitely for worse in his situation. Yeah. Um, the other art that's in here. Do you want to talk any more about this this piece in particular? Um, no, I just think I think that like it's still for me ambiguous of like what exactly was happening uh, in terms of like their mission. I think they were working on Xanadu, right? At least we know that now uh yeah yeah you're you're kind of experiencing it right now in in where you are yeah because uh, uh, steven's halfway through act three at the moment um, yeah so act three kind of clears up a lot of that okay gotcha, gotcha. uh so you'll talk about that next yeah, time yeah i don't i don't want to talk too much about it um okay but uh it's great it's it's a it's a great experience and that was the moment for me that completely locked me into playing this game i was like okay i'm totally sold now yeah uh, um that was really great the other pieces in there uh there's one called visage which i think is really great where there's like a bunch of something spinning around and you can kind of see a face oh yeah it's like they're like maybe made of ribbon yeah yeah in it <laughs> and and all the dialogue options like what is that made out of like how, yeah. how do you even put that together and why yeah. how is it so tall it's so big she built this in her house like how did she do that um it's just like it's just a bunch of questions about like how, do, how does this thing even exist like nothing yeah. about what the actual art is more like what the fuck am i looking at um which i love um yeah and then another one uh what, what was the, i forget the name of it but it, it's a coin that's like kind of precariously balanced inside of an old crt computer monitor that is also precariously like kind of leaning forward and, and all the dialogue options are just like this makes me very uncomfortable yeah um, which is the point of that piece of art yeah, they're like, I feel both attached to it and like very anxious around it. Yeah. Uh, it's like a worried machine. Yes. Um, it is great. It is a good yeah. piece of art. Uh, yeah. And you can linger around that exhibit as much as you want to. Um, and when you leave, that's it. That's really, that's the end of that interlude. Um, brilliantly, Act Two begins, it opens with like a scene of like office busy work, and there's an older woman reading a denial letter from like a artist's fellowship or something yeah and you learn right away that it's lula chamberlain the person you were just at the exhibit for yes is reading a rejection letter for her art and she's doing this like really bizarre busy work office job yeah um, specifically she, like, uh specifically the the letter says that she's not relevant anymore right and it's like and it it, it kind of has this insult where it's like uh, a lot of young artists supply a lot and get rejected and she's, you know, clearly older. So yeah. it's like, 
Um, and then you can choose to either rip it up or fold it into an envelope. Um, mm-hmm. But there is a handwritten note on it where someone's like, sorry for this shitty letter. I actually love your work. Yeah. But this is just, you know, we, we couldn't accept you this time. And that's what led me to fold it. Because I'm like, I know how it goes. I feel like mm-hmm. you get rejection. If someone if someone's handwriting that they liked your work, that's worth keeping. Yeah. Um, totally. that's, that's a sign you should not give up. Don't give up, Lula. Yeah. Uh, even though you're in this strange office that we'll get into. <laughs> and you can um, choose to write a note back, which is great. Oh, I didn't even see that. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, so it opens with that. Oh, I didn't even he- mention. There's so much stuff that you talked about in Act 1 that I didn't see. Oh, really? Yeah. We had very different experiences with Act 1, which I love. That's but, amazing. But anyway, I feel like on. it's usually the inverse, but, you know, everything's different on the zero. <laughs> That's the postcard. Uh, I drove down the zero and I dreamed of cows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Oh, shit. It- I didn't even mention. Sorry. There's a thing in Limits and Demonstrations that I want to call out. It's, yeah, please. It's my favorite line, I think, in maybe the whole game that I've experienced so far. I was actually, I was really happy. Uh, I, I read the Waypoint review of Kentucky Red Zero, um, and Austin Walker um, also called out this line, which I loved. Um, I was just glad that it resonated with somebody else. But um, there's there's a part where they're walking down a trail towards uh, towards the cave. I think that they're gonna try and like build some stuff in, um, and they're arguing about if it's a trail or not. Uh, and and Donald is like he's yelling from the background. Uh, it's a trail. It's definitely a trail. And Lula says this. And I think this is like one of the things that will stick with me forever. And and it, I think kind of reframed the way I've been thinking about this game a lot. Um, so they're arguing about if it's a trail. And Lula says it's more like a tendency. There tend to be fewer plants here on the path we've been walking as they continue walking in, which I, I think um, I'll bring up more later is, is yeah. kind of my plan. Um, but I, I think, I think that that line in particular is like really striking. Yeah. Anyway, there are a lot of lines like that where you'll just kind of stop in your tracks and just be like, wow, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like even just, yeah, different lines will hit you differently. And and I think the game lets you, then the game lets you choose what moments mean a lot to you, which is important as well. Yeah. I think the, and, and that I think goes back to your earlier point of like, you are directing it. You're choosing what is like what's the moment where you like stop playing for a second and like let it just sink in. Right. So after that introduction with Lula in the office, it cuts back to, it, I think it cuts to Conway, Shannon and, and blue Homer or a nameless dog on the zero. Um, not yet. This- you're just standing on a platform when your truck is there. Oh, which I okay. love. Uh, you're, you're just standing there. And the first thing that happens is you're kind of looking around, um, and and Shannon asks you, uh, I think she says, oh, wait, no, I, I took a, I took a screenshot of this. Like, I can get it exactly. Uh, oh, yeah. So you're at an office building and uh, Shannon says, yeah, but this is an office building inside a cathedral. And, and she stops and she says, this is weird. But do you think we're inside or outside right now? Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. Well, but that that's in the zero, though, isn't it? I or mean, it's, it's it technically in the zero, but you haven't seen the zero yet. Oh, you don't know right, that you right, took the zero right. to get there. Um, gotcha thank you thank you yes yeah it's are we inside or outside you never really know like the perspective is is that strange this is where it reminded me of control because this is like a bureau of like yes the bureau of reclaimed spaces is the name of it so they choose like what things become after they have gone away so like so essentially once a place has gone out of business or has run out of money or something um that space is open for the bureau of reclaimed spaces to turn into something else um 
which is what you think might have happened to this cathedral that you're inside of or potentially outside of at this moment. Yeah. Um, but then it turns out that the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces literally just like kicked out the congregation and made them go somewhere else. And there's like there's like that in construction light that's just blinking, and the sound of that is also so like perfect. Yeah. But it's really anyway, you, you go to the front desk and you tell them you're looking for Lula because um, she can tell you how to get uh, where you need to be. Yeah. Right? You can open that conversation uh, picking a dialogue option from Shannon that says, hey, settle a bet for us. Are we inside or outside right now? Oh, I did. I think I did that. Oh, yeah. did you? I chose yeah. not to because I was like, I don't think the answer. I personally was like, I don't think the answer matters. I don't think it I don't think yeah. it matters if I'm inside or outside. To me, I was I was inside and, and that was I just felt good about that. Yeah. They didn't confirm it, but yeah. I mean Shannon going back to my early point, Shannon is like the one willing to call out weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> um at this point Conway is is walking pretty slowly and, and you walk into into or out of this office. <laughs> right. And this is probably, I think, the only part of the game that is like intended to be funny. I think, like, there, yes. there, you go to the elevator and it's like floor one, like, you know, lobby, blah blah blah. Floor two, it's all all the stuff. Floor, floor three is just labeled bears. Yeah, <laughs> and you can go to floor three, which I immediately did. Yes, me and too. it's just full of bears that just kind of look at you. And that's it. Yeah, like, there's nothing just... you can interact with on that floor, which I loved even more. The fact that there was nothing to do there besides just look at the bears was great. What's what's great, too, is that in this part of the game, you'll have to go up and down a decent amount. And the bears always look towards the elevator when you pass it. Yeah. Uh, and they'll look away when you don't open the door. I felt kind of bad. But um, yeah, so <laughs> basically you keep asking for Lula and you're sent up and down and kind of on a wild goose chase. And eventually you talk to Lula directly. And she tells you that you should probably go find uh, is it Doctor Truman? Something like that. Yeah. She she's yeah. like, hey, your leg looks fucked. Yeah. You look so you're bad, given... and you look like you're getting worse. You gotta go see this doctor. <laughs> so you're given directions to that, and then and then you get on the zero. So as a yeah. player, well, you she see also tell you're time. also she's supposed to be telling you where Five Dogwood Drive is. She might have the file that'll That's tell you what how to get is. there. That's um, what it is. And and she tells you like honestly, there are like a billion dogwood drives in Kentucky, and a lot of them have been renamed. She's like, even I grew up on a street that was called Dogwood Drive that is now like like Shady Dogwood or like Shady Dogwood Drive or something like that now. And she's yeah. like, okay, you can you can go check out this filing cabinet, and like maybe you know there there will be a thing in there that'll tell you. And if you get it and come back with it, then it'll you know that we can like get to the bottom of this. Uh, but also you should probably go see this doctor first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also say I really liked Lula as well. I think like she's probably one of the more empathetic characters you meet in your journey. Um, But so then as a player, you see the zero for the first time. And now the wheel icon that you have seen, you know, on a flat surface on the original map is upright. Yes. And you can only go in a circle. You're almost in like a weird Star Fox for Super Nintendo cave. Yeah. Um, and you can drive past the bureau, which where you were, or past this thing called the crystal. Whenever you pass the crystal, if you turn back where you came, it's different. It's just a circle. It, it, it's, it's you're circle. literally just driving around in a circle and you can drive either clockwise or counterclockwise. And the further you drive, you'll just see these, like, they almost feel like, um, like tarot card names yeah, in a way, yeah. but they're just like they're just objects. It'll be like the anchor or the horse or the cathode ray tube or whatever. Um, and there are actually apparently a lot of like hidden things within the zero if you do specific 
motions. Like if you drive to the cathode ray tube and then immediately stop and turn around and then drive until you see the six horses and then immediately stop and drive backwards again, like a new location will open up. Um, and there's a there's a pamphlet you can get in the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces that'll like lead you to a couple like fun tourist areas, which is cool. Uh, I haven't done any of them at all because I, yeah, I at just, that point I just wanted to see what was next. Me too. Uh, yeah, I, I was yeah. so like, OK, like critical path. Like I just have to see what's going to happen. What I it's did curious. do, though, was I flipped to the back of the brochure where there is a phone number, like a real phone number that you can call where the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces will just like tell you about some shit, which is fascinating and i highly recommend doing it that's amazing but yeah it is cool though that in the very in the act one the direction you, the directions you're given are almost akin to the directions you would get on the zero where they don't say like go here <laughs> yes. for x miles they're like go until you see this and then make a right right um, yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah it's really cool so you follow the directions to the hospital and you uh, what is it i have a screenshot here Oh my god. Well, did you, did you did you go to uh where the congregation is first? Yeah, that's that's what I'm referring to. I just forgot the name of it. Yeah. Um uh, I, I don't know what it is either, but it's this like big kind of warehouse filled with documents and stuff. And you talk to a janitor who is like, "Yeah, th- this is where the congregation meets now. There used to be a shitload of people, but now there's kind of like less and less, but you know, I I still put on this like pre-recorded sermon every week anyway." Yeah, area C self. Yeah, this also with the janitor kind of reminded me of control a little bit. Yeah, um, but yeah, th- this is a really it's a really interesting moment because the sermon is playing, and you can either choose to continue the conversation with the janitor or listen more to the sermon, and the dialogue will be like more of the other depending on what you do. And eventually, I think Shannon comes in and is like, "Okay, like, please tell us where the hospital is." Yes, <laughs> like we're just stand- Conway's has like an infected leg and he's listening to a pre-recorded sermon. Can we please go to a hospital? Yeah, I chose um, I chose the other route. So instead of listening to the sermon at all, I just talked to Brandon the whole time, and his whole okay. bit is just about uh, having a bunch of injuries and not having health insurance. Like that is his whole. Oh wow, that is his whole thing. So just like hammering that home even more. But yeah, yeah. Then, then you you find uh, you get the document that you need to give to Lula at some point, but you also uh, need to make your way to the doctor. So you head to uh, what is it called? The museum, the museum of dwellings. Yeah. And this you go back on, I guess, back into the, you know, more traditional world back on 65 where it's just like a normal map. Yeah. Or as normal as you can get in this game. Right. Um, you're not driving in a, in a nightmare circle and seeing like the constellation, the crystal. Uh, you're back on 65. You know, by the good old artificial limb factory and the burning tree. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. So, um, you uh basically go to the museum, and that's that's another thing. Like all these places, kind of have this. Uh, either either they're not being used for what they intended to be used for, or they're not like they're a museum or a theater or something where it's performative. Like there's always that kind of mask to it. Uh, so you go to the museum of dwellings. This is, I think where the game, like I keep saying, Oh, this is what sealed the deal for me, but this is where the game, like I was already in, but this is where it really like flexed a creative muscle. I couldn't have foreseen existing. You go to the museum of dwellings and as you navigate the environment, kind of like the interlude, it's almost like you're walking around a museum exhibit, but what's happening is the events of Shannon Conway and blue, uh, talking to these people who live in the museum are being narrated by the people who are in those moments 
in an actual museum exhibit in the future. Yes. So you're being <laughs> you're being given like past tense interviews in a real museum about what's happening, but right. you're not seeing that moment. Can I try and describe this in a different way? Yes. Also, okay. Yes, so, so the museum of dwellings is literally like a bunch of dwellings. So, like in one exhibit, there is just a bird cage. In another exhibit, it is a house. In another exhibit, it is like an RV camper kind of thing. Um, and you have the ability as Conway or Shannon to go up and, and like investigate all of these different dwellings. And they all have little like um, like museum cards where you can, you know, read about the exhibit and stuff. Uh, but anytime you do that, what you're hearing is or what you're reading is uh, in an interview where somebody is asking the person who lives in that dwelling that you are currently trying to investigate what happened when Shannon Conway and blue showed up. So it'll be like, yeah, I don't know. They came up, they asked a bunch of questions about a doctor and then, you know, went off on their way. They seemed like they're okay. Like it didn't seem like there was anything like too bad happening. And then, you know, you, you, you make your way to another dwelling and like a similar thing where it's like, I don't know. The old guy was kind of creepy, but whatever. Yeah. Everyone like, seems like cool as Shannon and like rightfully so because Shannon yeah. rules, but like everyone's <laughs> like, and you can ask them like what they thought of each, you know, even some people talk about the dog, you know, yeah. specifically. Um, worth pointing out, Shannon. Shannon's never given a specific age. I mean, neither is Conway, but Conway probably is like, I would guess, like early sixties. Um, yeah, ta- talking Shannon, about the the like very minimal design of these characters, like the only real thing that they give Conway to kind of illustrate his age is that he has like the gray, like Frank, uh, not Franklin Richards, Reed Richards, like uh, sideburns. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I would say, like, you know, he's older than middle age. I would probably guess Shannon's like twenties or thirties. Yeah. Based on how she behaves. And I think it's referenced later that she her parents were immigrants, I think from Colombia, if I'm remembering details correctly. I don't recall. Um, but anyway, just a little bit of background on the characters, I think. But we're also like giving you as much as the game is giving you at this point <laughs> <laughs> in terms of in terms of what's going on here. Uh anyway. Um, you're going through this museum of dwellings and eventually you take like a cable car up a floor and it starts pouring rain. Uh, so one of the actions you're given is just to pull out an umbrella, but it's like, it's raining so hard. I, I my friend Eric, who I was with said he, he, and I thought this was kind of a beautiful sentiment, not beautiful in intention, but just like a very striking description of the image where it's raining so hard that an umbrella probably is worthless. Yeah. Which I think kind of aids the the themes of the game. Um, but you walk around more and eventually at like the peak of this museum is this kid probably like, uh, again, no age is given, but I would guess like 10 or 11. This like young kid. Really young, named, yeah. Yeah, named Ezra. And he's standing kind of proudly, like hand, almost like a superhero, like hands on hips. And uh, strikingly, he's the first character you talk to where it is not a posts uh, it's not a postmodern museum exhibit you're just talking to him yes and he's like hey like the people who live in this museum actually are in the forest right now that's where dr truman is my brother julian can take you to him if you want right and you're like yeah sounds great and he, he, ta- he talks him. about he talks about how his job is to take all of the people to the forest back and forth every day they take all the houses they take all the dwellings into the forest uh and your responses are like, that's really impressive for you and your brother, you and your little brother to to pick up a bunch of houses and move them like halfway yeah. across Kentucky every single day. Like, how does that even happen? 
and and you don't even really have time to question it before the thing you're about to say happens oh my god this, this i think is my favorite moment in the game and like at this point you're fine with spoilers so i'll just say it but like and it, it it's a lot of stuff in this game like words can't do justice for the feeling it instills because like yeah it truly is so dreamlike and like I think this moment stands out because there are very few moments that have like a direct physical impact. A lot of moments are a version of two men dragging an airplane on the ground and then just <laughs> leaving the scene. You know, mm-hmm. like a lot of things are just you left being like, huh, that was really like, I'll never forget what I just saw, but nothing like nothing truly changed or ended. It just sort of lingered off. Yeah. But Ezra calls his brother Julian, who is a giant fucking eagle, this giant eagle shows up and picks you all up in its talons and flies off. And it it's like, it is breathtaking. It yeah. really is like such a shocking moment. And before you even have really like time to react mentally or emotionally to what just happened, you're then taken to the map that you're like so used to, like the monochromatic map where you're usually you're just like a wheel kind of like zipping across. But instead there is a like pseudo 3D eagle now flapping over the whole thing. Uh, and you it, can fly around Kentucky. It oddly reminds me of uh, of getting an airship for the first time in a Final Fantasy game, or just that sense <laughs> yeah. of scale. But like, I mean, honestly, if we could do like a five second rule of music, like I would love Edge if you could just play the song that plays. It's called Julian. Uh, like just just the image, of, like being in the rain in this museum, and you're just trying. You've been trying to see a doctor for what feels like forever. Again time moves differently this act can't be longer than an hour but like yeah. it feels like it's been weeks of, of conway and it, and it impacts you as a player because it takes forever to get anywhere yeah you're you're limping as conway um and this eagle picks you up and this song plays and it's so it's not triumphant like there's there's an air of mystery and there's an air of like awe to it but it's such a weird song and it captures the mood perfectly and what's really cool i don't know if you did this you're given directions from Ezra of like where Julian should fly. Yeah, you follow the Green River and hop over the lake. Yeah, but what I did is I went back to all the places I drove past in Act One. I also all did the that. vignettes, and you're given the perspective from above. And again, this game plays a perspective in every way with characters, with dimensions. Now you're literally with a bird's eye view. There's one kind of vignette about a guitarist with a dog, and it's like described so differently when you're seeing him from up high on this eagle and like um talk about themes of capitalism and everything like there's something so symbolic about a giant eagle uh uh, saving you but also displacing you Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like absolutely i i I don't know what to definitively definitively say about that because like julian is an ally but it's not like a lord of the rings eagle where like it's a deus ex machina just sort of like it's something that makes you feel eclipsed uh, and and almost powerless. Uh, yeah. Like you can't do anything without Julian. These people, uh, they they need <laughs> they need an eagle to move their homes from a museum, a place honoring something that is over, to a forest. Like that is such a weird and specific image. Yeah. That like I would love to revisit, but you take Julian and you go to the forest and also like. If if the bureau is probably the one moment that's intended to be kind of funny, this is probably the one moment that I felt like was a little heartwarming. Where there's a scene where it's like Ezra, Shannon, Conway, and Julian, like all in the woods, and it's 
it's fragmented. There are trees that are cutting the image. This is like be... one of the wildest visuals I think in any video game I've ever seen because yeah. it's it's hard to tell what is the foreground and what is the background, and they blend. Yeah. They blend and and as you said, segment um so so strikingly where like it kind of almost doesn't matter like it all just becomes like one like gradient of of like a thing of perspective yeah Um, it's really fascinating i just spent a lot of time like moving left and right just so just to see this effect in action it was and and yeah absolutely and you're playing as ezra this time the young kid and he's running and it's it's so it's so freeing after playing as as conway crawling through a museum you're ezra running through this forest and you're seeing kind of events play out yeah it opens with um the the scene opens with uh ezra talking to conway as he's sitting on a on a log like this is right when you land and this this is the moment uh where i got like i teared up like a lot like i almost like just started crying playing this game um because ezra talks about his family and what happened to him um him and julian i guess specifically where his family uh they seemed like pretty well off they had a big house apparently they had like this like big mansion um and one day the bank was just like or the way ezra describes it is one day the bank just took the house back um and that happened while he and Julian were flying around and they came back and the house was gone and so were his parents. Um, and Conway's like, they just up and left you like they just they just left you by yourselves. And he's like, no, I'm sure they didn't mean to. But, you know, they'll be back eventually. And and that moment of like, this kid is too young to even understand the yeah. like, tragedy that has that has befallen literally him head in his, the clouds. Yeah. And his yeah. brother is like was so heartbreaking like it was so brutal yeah um yeah really a a a rough moment also paired with the this is the second big like musical moment um, yeah where there's like an actual like uh i i don't think it's bluegrass specifically but you know it's like banjo like folk song happening yeah um as, as you're going through this bit you see silhouettes like facing the same direction you as a player are the three musicians uh Emily, Ben, and Robert, I think. Um, uh, and you, you know, go through this as Ezra, and then it eventually cuts to Conway finally with the doctor, and the doctor's like, "It's severe, but it's treatable." And he has like, "I had to put you under with this like very specific weird medicine. I'm gonna find the name of it. It's very uh, neuropropyl TM." <laughs> yeah, they add the TM. Yeah, um, uh, it, it, while he's doing all of this. He is like just kind of going on and on about how med school was really expensive and maybe not worth it, but um, it worked out because he got a sponsorship from Neuropropyl TM, um, and now he's like a certified Neuropropyl TM distributor and salesman. Um, so like suddenly it's no surprise that that's the thing that he says is going to fix your your leg, um, which like I don't know if you've ever had that situation, but like I, I remember when I was first going around uh, looking for therapists and psychiatrists and stuff, um, it was, I just remember a lot of people like very specifically pushing very specific medication uh, and being like, is this actually the best thing for me? Or are you, or is there something happening here where like, there's a reason that you're giving me this? I had that with the, yeah, the move. I had that with a psychiatrist therapist. I find in general are, I mean, I, I will say as a blanket statement, like medication 
absolutely has saved some people's lives, but it's something that has to very specifically be subscribed for the right thing. Yeah. And I think sadly, a lot of psychiatrists over prescribe stuff like you, like you ran into. Like I remember what, when I first went to college, I was having a really rough time and like talking to pretty much anyone I could about the experience and what I was feeling for the first time and, and how it felt kind of inescapable. And they all were like, Hey, rightfully so they're like talk to this talk to someone on campus there's plenty of people on campus and like at that in that moment i went to the psychiatrist on campus who like didn't even make eye contact with me just like wrote a few things in a notebook and was like okay you sound clinically depressed here take these pills basically yeah and like it would be a very different scenario if i felt like i had been heard and, and surely diagnosed but I was, it, I, it was a very uh, uh, Kentucky Route Zero diagnosis where it was like, just take this, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and thankfully that same year I, I started seeing a therapist and fucking absolutely saved my life. And like, this is absolutely like me, Steven, as a person, like definitely, I think everyone should be a therapist. I think medication is absolutely the right call if you, if you need it. But uh, the 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 practice of just sort of like blindly throwing medication at people is fucked because it's 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 for profit, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think the the thing that I found striking about this scene in particular was um, this doctor straight up telling you like, oh, yeah, like this. This is the company that like paid for my. There's no guys. Yeah. 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 Um, which which was interesting. Also, just like put a bow on that. You know, the the. the act of going to see a therapist or a psychiatrist is like a, a privileged thing in general. So like that's not available to everyone. And and if it is available to you and you feel like you should, like you should take advantage of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that scene in particular was like very striking uh, when, when he prescribes that stuff and he's like, all right, well here it is. It's going to, uh, you know, fuck you up pretty intensely, but uh, I'm going to count backwards from three and then we're just gonna have a normal conversation. Um, and he sure does that. He, he he start counting backwards from three, uh, and then he starts telling you all the all the like horrific things that are going to happen with the bank statement um, because he's prescribing you this stuff and because he gave you this treatment. And uh, as that happens, I think that's the end, right? Isn't that the end of Act Two? Is yeah, you, the, you fall into like a you kind of black out and then it's over. The scenery kind of fades away, similar to Act One with the zero revealing, uh, and yeah. then and then that's it. Yeah. Oof! Wow. Um. So that's act two. Uh, I think since I haven't finished act three, why don't we just talk about the entertainment, maybe touch on act three and then maybe wrap up. Okay. Yeah. There, uh, there's, there's only like one really specific thing that connects to the entertainment that I want to mention about act three anyway. Um, yeah. But, uh, that sounds good. Yeah. The entertainment was the one that I just kept hearing about when it came out and I was like floored by, yeah. um, it like really lived up to and then exceeded the hype for it. Um, so this yeah. it's worth, uh, noting before we even get into it that this was conceived of and released as an oculus rift like thing um so the idea is you are experiencing this in the first person and you're supposed to be wearing a headset where you could like look around your environment uh the environment in this case is you are on stage in a play um in i think it's the 70s if i'm not mistaken it's like the 1970s yeah, um, college play yeah. yeah uh the conceit is it's a mashup of two plays uh, by by a like famous playwright um and and who went missing of course right who went missing yeah <laughs> uh so the way that this works is really fascinating just like mechanically it's fascinating so 
you're experiencing the play, the director's notes, your own stage direction, because you are also in the play, the actual stage direction and setting, and reviews of the play all simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. the way that they pull this off, because I heard that description, I was like, that is so fucked. How, how are you able to parse yeah. all that? So the way it works is whatever direction you're looking in is what you're reading about at that time. Anytime you look anywhere else, it'll pause all the action elsewhere and you'll just see that. So, uh, you know, if you're watching the play, you'll continue seeing the play. If you look away from the play, the play will pause and that'll allow you to take in everything else. Um, so if you're looking backwards towards the audience, that's when you're seeing the reviews of the play. So it's like literally snippets from like, newspapers from around uh this area uh is it in texas that they're putting the play on i feel like it's in buffalo if i remember correctly like buffalo, buffalo street it's a buffalo street theater i remember that oh that's what it is yeah yeah. i yeah. just don't, i just don't know where it is. maybe it's also kentucky who knows um but yeah. anyway so you're, you're seeing newspaper clippings of of reviews of the play uh when you look at the director uh the director will talk about the changes that they made to the play and like why they did that um, you can look at a jukebox, which is on set, which is playing the sounds um, and like it'll like just kind of go through all the sound cues that are going to happen throughout this act of the play. Um, if you look up above the theater, you can see the the like setting and stage direction. If you look downwards at your own table, you can see uh, your own stage direction. If you look forward, you see the play. So that's that's the that's how it's working. Um, yeah, it's a lot to take it's, in. It's, it's I'm sure if you are just listening to this, like it's hard to parse and, and it is hard to parse in real time until you like really get a handle on it also. Yeah. Yeah. The good news is that it pauses everything else, which at first I was like, oh my God, am I going to miss? Yes, something? I was terrified that um, I was going to miss something. Also worth noting, this is like, it's a legit 45 minute one act play. Like it is a actual, it's a pretty good play too. What's funny, it's what I great. found striking yes. is that the reviews are also really, ac- they're a little harsh, but the reviews are, are very funnily accurate. Yes. Um, and what's great is that every review rips apart your performance. Right. As, <laughs> like, like there's one review where it's like the, the, you know, like the actress who plays Pearl is a revelation. Sadly, she can do little to like distract from the awful pantomime of the barfly who pulls off like the performance with the grace of a dog or something. Right. Yeah. There's it's another like- one that's like, you know, it's a mashup of two incredible plays that works way better than it should. For some reason, they've introduced a new character who is yeah. just like a babbling drunk sitting directly center stage blocking the action. Yeah, it, it would be like because it, it's funny because like that makes sense for the game's purpose. But like for theatrical performance, it's like the worst place to put the bar fly. Right. It's like front row center. Um, What's so funny, though, is like if you consider your own action, like if you were wearing the Oculus Rift, like turning around and looking directly at the audience and looking at the ceiling for a while and like looking all over yeah, the place. Yeah, and like, just watching the play and... and uh, <laughs> What's funny too is in the audience, there's like probably like eight people. Like it's very like this is a college ass play. Yeah, this is yeah. <laughs> this is kind of what it's like. Um, and then you know, there's like in the a huddle's corner is like the dramaturge and the director and everything. Yeah. Um, but the, like you said, the play is really good. It's it's a uh, it's a bartender named Henry, right? Uh, yeah. And in a bar called uh, the Lower Depths that he owns. The Lower Depths. A uh, bartender named Henry. Uh, a patron named Evelyn. It's just the two of them for like probably the first 15 minutes. Yeah. Evelyn talks about uh, how her husband is out on the road selling hammers. And she's kind of like, 
progressively getting drunker throughout the play and like kind of revealing and talk about multiple truths like even without choosing dialogue i think a lot of these characters present that where like she is simultaneously showing a lot of anger that he is out on the road yeah but also simultaneously just wanting to like you know she keeps being like oh i'm sure he's like sleeping with other women basically and henry's like oh he wouldn't do that he's a good man and she's like i know but like i almost want him to be so i can just like end this you know to end end this this like doubt about like 20 minutes into the play and also like really brilliant lighting like the the lights fade uh so yeah the lights dim and pearl i believe right is Mm -hmm. the character's name yeah uh played by a actress named sarah i think sarah wakefield i think maybe all all i know is that the actress's name of pearl is one of the characters in the museum of dwellings uh oh, so great. there's a connection there of course wild okay, but uh yeah. and lula chamberlain is involved in the production you can see her in the yes, audience right um which is really cool but um so there's like there's a loose connection right away uh and pearl is revealed to be someone whose parents have kind of run up a sizable tab at this bar and they haven't been able to pay it off and it's kind of fallen on pearl to pay off her parents debt um and she has the reviews are right every review is like pearl steals the show and like they're right she's easily the best part of it Um, what's so funny too is like you're literally just reading what the script yeah, is the performances you, you like, can feel the performances of these characters right yeah the dialogue is like it's like kind of muffled yeah. but you see the speech bubbles and every now and then you actually will have to like look to a different part of stage to progress it which i think is very intentional but um yeah pearl is basically like you know she has a lot of powerful lines of like debt is like the air i breathe it's a thick gray fog i was born in it and i'm kind of done like yeah, I'm, she's I'm like, not... I have the power to escape this, but yeah. unfortunately, that means that I have to cut my parents off. Um, yeah, like I have to stop paying for my parents, and they're gonna have to figure out a way to pay you back, Harry. Um, yeah, and you can tell that Harry is even a bit trepidatious about this. He's like, oh shit, like without you paying them or paying for them, like what am I supposed to do? Um, yeah, yeah, because she's like sort of. It, it has a very. Uh sam shepherd vibe i feel like where there's sort of this like there's this like one kind of like semi-translucent vague idea of hope that everyone is hanging on to yeah and the and like and that is revealed like non-existent at a certain point right um so uh eventually um pearl's parents show up who are like clearly drinking a lot and and they're like we're celebrating like uh her mom uh, mrs slate has a promotion and um it's like set pretty much right away that it's probably not real right she says uh that that uh her boss said that she has management material like she yeah, she and, is management and, material and that's that's the way she keeps talking about it and and the father keeps saying like oh we're celebrating you're like the promotions is as good as yours like it's, it's definitely gonna happen yeah. Meanwhile, they all are waiting for the entertainment, which is a musician named Junebug. Yes. Um. So there's almost kind of like a waiting for Godot vibe, where they're like waiting for this, waiting for the night to end with like something that will distract all of them from their problems. Right. Just like let let the music come. That's why we're all here. Right. All Evelyn keeps saying that she wants to hear a love song. 
uh the parents keep saying uh you know they they want music because they're celebrating and like you can't be celebrating without music um yeah pearl just likes june bug and is like excited for that yeah uh, but and, she's at work he- at this point and then returns back to the bar yeah and Henry keeps alluding that he had recently gone on vacation, but like that also might be a lie. And right. At one point he's like, you know, would you be happy if I just told you that I was just, it was just me on the floor in this bar? Like, is that what you want to hear? Yeah. Like I was just and sitting like, on the floor watching nature documentaries on the TV. Like, is that what you want to hear from me? Um, and Evelyn keeps like pressing him harder and harder and harder to like try and get to the truth. Because I think like on a certain level, and this, this is the fact that we're even having this conversation, like just kind of speaks to how fucking good the writing is in this. Play. Yeah, it's a great play. Um, yeah. But like the fact that she keeps pressing him for answers, like she, I think, almost does want to hear that. She wants to hear that somebody has it even harder than she does, like that this guy who has nobody because his, his wife has passed away and he just runs this bar by himself. And like this is kind of all he has. Um, like she wants to hear that his life is worse to make herself feel better in a way. Um, and he knows that she's doing that. And ke- and as she keeps pressing He's like, I'm going to cut you off at a certain point. It's also worth noting that he is only pouring one kind of whiskey called Hard Times Whiskey. Uh, he yeah. doesn't have anything else in the bar. He's like, this is the only thing I'm pouring tonight. Sorry. Yeah. So eventually, like all those tensions are rising and Henry like tells Pearl to leave. He's like, he keeps mentioning there's going to be a day of reckoning, which is kind of scary. Yeah. And then- oh, when he switched scenes, Pearl returns back and it's after right. she's had the conversation with her parents. And her parents are yeah. just like shell shocked by the news that they're going to have to like figure out a way to pay for themselves. And, and the mother also reveals that like <laughs> even just the idea that being told that she's management material was enough to celebrate. She was told that like maybe someday. Yes. She'd be management material. And as, as she is kind of like falling out of this idea that this might ever happen for her, the father is like only doubling down on the idea that they're celebrating that she's definitely going to get it. Cause like he needs something to cling on to also. Yeah. And then Henry, and this is where the play like really starts. Cause all the reviews kind of set an expectation low. All the reviews are like kind of mean. They're like, yeah. you know, they're like uh, uh, uneven, unfocused drama that occasionally has sparks flying. Yeah. Just kind of funny. It's a very, you know, that, that would be how it would be reviewed. I feel like, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Henry eventually says like, Pearl, like, you should leave. Like, you don't deserve what's about to happen. Yes. Uh, and she's like, okay, point taken. I was already planning on leaving, and now I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah she uh, immediately gets up and leaves. She leaves, and then it's revealed Henry, um, Henry's like, you know, the, the boys from Hard Times are coming uh, to settle their debt, basically. Yeah, and... and, the, and they're all like, what do you mean their debt? Like, our debt's with you, Harry. Like, we, we're buying drinks from you, not from Hard Times Whiskey. And he, he says, yeah, that, that's true, but uh, I ran out of money, and I ran out of alcohol, and I needed to have some kind of drink to be able to serve to you guys, so I had to strike a deal with Hard Times Whiskey, so I sold all of your debts to them. Yeah, uh, so, he said... So uh, all of the debts that you owed me, you now owe Hard Times. Um, and that's why I'm only pouring this tonight. He says it's like he said, uh, oh, my God, I have the exact lines. It, it was so powerful to me that I had to write it down, which is not something I do often. But this game makes me do it. Yeah. Some it's something like it's like I did it. I sold it. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. So yeah. like, it's like a yeah. very purposeful rhythm. Then the lights cut to black and you hear like some kind of like radio static or tv 
And you know, you're so at that point, so used to like kind of turning your attention, you turn around and this is what I alluded to maybe being like the one jump scare in the game. There's just a skeleton with like a notebook, like reviewing it. And it lingers there for like probably three seconds. It's like a neon yellow and orange flashing skeleton. Yeah. It's like, like it looks like it's made of electricity. Yeah. And then it just cuts to black and I was like, what the fuck? Like, I think it hit harder because of how powerful the ending of the play is, and it just ends on that on that note. Yeah, um, but that is the reckoning. Is that is I guess the hard times, whiskey person yeah. coming for the reckoning. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it's such a it's such a good play in this video game. Yeah. Um, and I guess I guess with Act Three, we'll just touch on uh some brief things. I think we'll get to the moment that you told me to play too, and then maybe call it there. Yeah. Um, um but j- just before we move on from the entertainment, I, I think there's please. Just a couple things to just talk about with this. Um I, I I think, you know, the idea that this game as a whole is about is about capitalism and debt and and like the, the shame of debt, um, I think is really, you know, it's, it starts to come together, I think, in the entertainment in particular. Uh, the moment where that like really to for lack of a better word, like hit me over the head was when I looked down at the table uh, that I was sitting at and and what is on the table on the plate is a brick between two slices of bread. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, why? What does a brick sandwich mean? <laughs> and then. Yeah. And then it it clicked for me that like even the idea of buying food at a bar like puts you even more in debt and like that fucks you over even more. And like even even food is. Like the like the most like the thing you need the most to survive is is linked to this like horrific kind of like like cancerous thing um that's like hurting people really like really struck home for me um which so I thought that was fascinating and then on top of that there's this whole idea that like is watching a play for forty minutes in this video game any different from what you've been doing before like just because yeah. just because you were making choices before does that mean that it's any different than just watching it all unfold before you, um, which I thought was really interesting, which is why I wrote, are all games just stage performances? And this is kind of no different. Honestly, I I, th- I thought like this kind of reframed in, in the way that like the Hotline Miami games have like reframed my ideas of like violence in games and sequels and Bioshock reframed my idea of player agency like this kind of just changed the way I view like all narrative games in general. Um, cause they really are just stage plays that you just have like a little bit of control over in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. and removing all of your control from it, like doesn't really change my enjoyment of it, um, as like an interactive medium, which I thought was really interesting. Like this is, this is as little a video game as it could possibly be is what the entertainment is. And it still is, is still is a video game. Um, you know, yeah. like answering that question, what is a video game? Like gets very interesting when you talk about this interlude in particular. I, yeah, uh, it, it's really fascinating. I, I also kind of saw it as an evolution of this like expanding dimensionality of the game. Whereas like in the beginning on the, I think of the maps and like the very beginning is like, you're just a point on the map. It's, it's one dimensional in that yeah. way. And then you get to the point where, you know, suddenly the wheel is upright and you're going in a circle and it's, it's three dimensional. And then you're on Julian, and you're like above it all. And then the 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 uh, the like final note of that is oddly the entertainment, where it's like not only do you have a bird's eye view physically, but also like you have a perspective on the people who created it, the people who watched it and yeah. judged it. You're omnipresent. Uh, yeah. You're also you're also in it and involved. Um, 
And I think that's the really fascinating role is like, that is the role that the player has that is unique to a video game where you are in it, but you are also observing it. Um, yeah. That's you're the bar fly in that way. Right. Which is just brilliant. It, it was really cool. Uh, you know, that, that, that is sort of like, I think, I think if you get to the point where you're watching the entertainment, you're probably enjoying the game, but that is also, I think like, uh, something you really have to be in the mood for. It's like, this is a actual 40 minute play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, which sounds almost obnoxious, but it really does work once you're, once you're like, once you get like 10 minutes in, it starts to kind of get going. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I talked really to you about good. this, um, but, but in terms of like this being a book and like, I would recommend not binging this and stuff. Like I played half of act two, the entertainment and all of act three in one sitting. And like, that was a mistake. I, I, yeah. I regret wow. doing that. Um, not that I enjoyed any of it any less, but like it felt like it was a lot by the time I was done with Act Three. Yeah, and like I should have spaced out a little bit more. So I'm gonna be a, a little bit more on top of that uh, in the future. Um, the one last thing I want to mention about the entertainment was just the idea of the critics, um, commenting on this thing, uh, in such a negative way. A thing that like you and I both agree is great, and like the the amount of um confidence you have to have in your fucking work to have a bunch of criticism that is extremely negative like you have to be so confident that that fake play that you made for this video game is good to also include fake negative criticism of that yeah. very good play um <laughs> and just just the commentary i think on like what you and i are doing currently in this podcast via that criticism is interesting um and and worth exploring and the idea of criticism and and, and good art and like you know it not that you and I have said anything really negative about this game at all yet, uh, outside of like, maybe you won't like it if you want it to be a Bioware game. Um, right. But like, right. uh, just you and I, I think have created this little Island kind of separate from a lot of what, um, not that we're better than anything. Um, but like you and I have like created this little space where we're only talking about things in kind of a positive light for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least we try to, I think I think the the criticism in the entertainment is kind of like a, a kind of like a knife into the idea uh, that that I think we're trying to escape from in a way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you and I could be critical. I think the conceit of the show is like we're bringing to the table something we're enjoying. We're not we're not just taking a piece of media and ranking it. You know, we're not <laughs> we're not a critic yeah. showing up to a college play and ripping it apart. Yeah, because uh, I think like. You know, in a lot of those reviews, you could tell it was more about the critic and less about the piece. Yeah. Where it was, they were like, they were, uh, they were putting it under their like, their very large microscope and just like finding something to rip apart with it. Yeah. Which oddly enough was the player. It was the it was the barfly that got like the unanimous negative reviews. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I I agree with all that. I think that's that's a that's a really interesting lens to apply to this conversation. Jesus, this this game has also like changed how our show feels. This episode is so different. I know. It's, we're, we're also we're, it's like eleven thirty here. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I we're, feel we're getting like, like I, we're getting closer to the zero as we continue recording. Yeah, like you start off with that Mountain Dew joke, and I'm, we're just like immediately after we're like, yeah. So you know, uh, after Conway was baptized upside down in the in the zero, he woke up as a as a baby. <laughs> you want to uh, actually fly through Act Three a little bit. Yeah, I, I honestly think I think for the just to have a nice like ribbon on this particular because I think I think we're absolutely going to talk about this game again. You know, we're we're basically halfway through it at this point. Like, 
there's so much more and there's so much more that will probably come to light in retrospect after we're done with it yeah so i think i think for for the context of like wrapping up with like act one and two and the entertainment let's just talk about like the very beginning and then the musical number i think we could probably call it i agree yeah that's kind of all i want to talk about from this anyway yeah so it begins with the flashback of conway and i think lysette lysette who i can't tell what relationship she is to him so my read on this is that lysette owns the antique shop she and her husband or sorry she uh was with her husband and a child who have both passed away uh due to like like fucked up accidental circumstances um and conway just works at the antique shop also um but has been working there for so long that he's like kind of part of the family yeah that was my read on it that makes and i think i think it's another thing too where you could fill in what your truth is with that you know yeah i mean the the memory is shown this like really softly lit beautiful scene that's like kind of in stark contrast to pretty much anything else in the game so like it is a fond memory. Yeah. It's, it's a nice moment in his life. It's also kind of heavily implied um, throughout Acts 1, 2, and in this scene that uh, that Conway like has a drinking problem, or uh, maybe yes. had a drinking problem at, yeah, at one point, yeah. um, but kind of explored more in this scene. Yeah, I think it's also kind of, in retrospect, the fact that he's delivering antiques is a very purposeful delivery. He's trying to kind of, I think get rid of precious memories you know yeah it's like there's something very purposeful about that that decision um but you had that flashback and then he wakes up in the doctor's cabin in the woods with a mm-hmm. new leg uh similar to our friend at the end of the entertainment it is a neon glowing skeleton leg yeah one of your dialogue options is hey man my leg is a neon glowing skeleton leg <laughs> And, and and the doctor is, I mean, not literally, but the doctor is like, oh, yeah, I heard that that might happen. Like, I think I remember reading a paper on this and yeah. he does not help you and he does not explain no. it. He's just like, oh, yeah, I heard that might be the case. But and everybody, like, else, you know, it's clear that everybody else sees it as a regular leg. He's like, you might be recovering for a while. And Conway is like, how long? And he's like, oh, at your age, probably like for the rest of your life. Yeah, probably forever. Yeah. Um, And so it's kind of this really grim opening also it really sets the stage for like how much weirder act three is going to get yeah. act three is like if you thought this stuff with julian was out there like it just keeps going uh <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> so you you leave the doctor with your new leg and shannon and ezra and julian um and you're given directions to another location you're on 65 you're not on the zero anymore so you see like Julian flying around and you'd go back on the road, um, but your car breaks down. And so then it cuts to the text where it's like Conway, you know, checks the truck and, and then it cuts to the scene really like beautiful broken tree. And like this game makes really like harrowing images, oddly beautiful too. It's like broken tree, broken down truck. And you can check in with, with your friends, Ezra blue and and shannon and talk to them a little bit uh at one point shannon calls a towing company and that's where you can choose what the phone is saying that's where you got the radio silence or uh distant highway sounds yeah and eventually you can also cuts- choose how mean the person on the other side of the phone is yeah but you <laughs> yeah. don't get to read any of the any of the dialogue the the way that it's framed is uh in parentheses as inaudible and then it'll say like angry or it'll say content or it'll say like 
uh sweetly or something like yeah. that and you can like choose choose those yeah it's great it's so good yeah and shannon responds accordingly uh and eventually like once you kind of checked in with everybody it cuts to a very fast motorcycle going down the road um and this is also from like an oddly like Sayonara Wild Hearts perspective where it's yeah. like, you know, like literally from the perspective of the road for the first time. Like you haven't seen like this sort of 3D fast, you know, going down the highway perspective. It's a, it's a motorcycle and a sidecar. Uh, in the sidecar is this guy named Johnny who may or may not be the guitarist from earlier. I can't quite remember, but he's a musician mm-hmm. um, and riding the motorcycle is Junebug, uh, the musician that all the characters in the play were waiting for. So suddenly... Right. Who never showed up, it's worth noting. We, I don't yeah. think we mentioned that in the entertainment, but in the entertainment, Junebug never shows up to play any music. So it's as if like we just watched Waiting for Godot, and then back in reality, Godot showed up as a major character. Right. Like, that's sort of <laughs> what's happening here. Uh, but Junebug, and, and I think she calls Johnny Cricket. They have like a very, like, kind of fun dynamic um she's a very cool kind of punk musician they are talking about their gig at henry's which is the bar that the play was suddenly yeah suddenly it's clear that like there's there's a connection between that fictional play and the the 1970s from the 70s yeah so something something fucked up is happening (laughs) uh so june bugs with johnny and they they see uh on the highway the truck stop and they kind of they kind of whiz past at first and like smoke like it goes back to conway and shannon everyone you could ask are you okay like we just got like a bunch of smoke in our face yeah um it's the dusty equivalent of a car driving by in the rain and splashing you yeah but it's it's like just smoke and then it cuts back to june bug and and they're like oh should we turn around like we might want to bring people to our gig right Um, yeah uh so they do that you have like a really interesting conversation with them. Uh, and eventually it's eventually no matter how you play it out, decide that you're going to go to this bar. Right. So you follow them, you go to the bar, the, the play is set in, uh, the, the lower depths. Is that what it is? Yeah. Which is like, at this point, my brain is just sliding out of my left ear. Cause like the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the idea that I just watched this entire play happen and now I'm at the bar freaking me out the fact that june bug was like part of the crew now was freaking me out and then you walk in and there's harry at the bar yeah and the bar is like is like truly like the diviest yeah bar you like because the play kind of makes it look a little charming there's sort of like a noir aspect to it where like you know it's just three people at a bar but three people at a bar in a play is very different than three people at a bar like at night right, in, in real, real life. life. Yes. Which is <laughs> you see exactly what you how, walk into. You see how much of the bar is empty and like yeah. uh Henry's there. And, and you get a sense that like how the play ended might have actually just happened. Yes. It like, literally just happened. To the yeah. point where um you can walk up to the table that you were sitting at in the entertainment and there's a there's the brick sandwich the two drinks that you had on the table, the newspaper and the goggles, which are, which they allude to being the Oculus Rift. Oh my God. I didn't even notice that. It's sitting on the table and Ezra picks up and is like, Oh, this thing's expensive. And then puts it back down, (laughs) which is so good. Uh, But you talk to Henry and it really is as if like some shit just went down. 
Um, so kind of alluding to the idea that like the entertainment did not was not a play from the 1970s, but was just the lens by which you viewed a thing that happened to mere minutes ago in this guy's real life. Kind of like the museum exhibit. Yes. Uh, so, oof, yeah. So uh, basically at this point, too, you're you're often given the choice of responding as one of the many characters that are now in your in your party, if you will. Right. So like, you know, you can respond as, and they all have such distinct personalities. Like Shannon, kind of the voice of reason, usually pretty straight to the point, uh, and is very like has a very like engineer mind. Like she knows how things work. Yeah. Especially electronics. Uh Conway slowly adrift. We love him, but you know, he's not doing great. Ezra is like this really energetic kid that kind of has a weird sort of detached perspective and Junebug is sort of like a larger than life but like cooler than thou personality yeah so you know um at one point uh yeah so she's like kind of teasing Henry's like, okay cool like we're gonna set up and and he's sort of resistant at first but then you could say like hey like don't you want to break or don't you like music or whatever yeah um and the music starts the entertainment has actually arrived uh, the audience is literally just Henry and the crew. Like, yeah. uh, Conway pulls up a chair with Shannon and everyone, and and uh, Johnny and Junebug take the stage. And uh, similar, like, the, the roof kind of detaches and lights go out, and they go back on again. And she's in this, like, radiant blue dress, and Johnny has, like, a keytar or something. Yeah, and almost uh, like, a, like a Michael Jackson thriller outfit on. Yeah, and the song plays called Too Late to Love You. It's just like a really fucking weird but powerful moment where like it's worth pointing out like the chorus is the same, but you do choose kind of like the poem, you choose the starting lyric of what like the verse is. Yeah. And the song seems at least my connection immediately was like what Evelyn was going through. I feel like the mm. song is kind of like a I think that song is the song that Evelyn wanted to hear or needed to hear. Yeah. Uh, in that moment. Interesting. Yeah. Um, You're right. You're absolutely right. But I know, I think you could probably read that moment in a number of different ways. Um, but it's this kind of show stopping moment where like, you just like see again, kind of playing with the medium. You literally just like watch a song unfold Yeah, and you have some agency of like what the lyrics are, but like the message of the song is the same. The chorus is the same. Yeah. My and jaw then, was just uh, on the floor the entire time this was happening. Um, yeah. especially cause I think, I think I mentioned this before we started recording, but like, I'm a huge beach house fan and this, just, yeah. this just sounded like a song from thank your lucky stars. Like this was just like a straight beach house song. Um, and this is yeah, definitely the most twin peaks. I think it feels yeah. like it has that kind of like, like weird neon like yeah. glaze to it. This is also the moment where it really solidified to me that Junebug and Johnny were androids because whenever they walk you can hear their like robot like they it sounds mechanical whenever they oh walk is around. that them yes that's them walking. oh so i i didn't even make the i didn't even assume that that's what was i thought that was my new leg I didn't oh no that's Junebug and johnny walking around um, oh my god wow okay yeah okay uh, so it was that moment and then also uh when when Junebug is singing um it just sounds very like process it sounds like like a robot process like synthesized voice a little bit um, yeah which is interesting but yeah that's even more existential of like this rundown bar where two robots like want to sing 
I had no idea they were robots, Brendan. You just blew my mind. That's very interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's more stuff that happens that kind of, like, drills down into that more. Um, yeah. But that was the moment where it clicked for me, because I... There's another moment where uh, my dad was like, what are you playing? And he sat down next to me and was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Your dad comes in at the best moments. Yeah, he, oh my, my dad, my dad kept falling in and out of sleep while watching act three of this game. And that is just exactly how you're supposed to experience this. My roommate, uh, Bobby, for listening, hello, uh, he came home, the three iconic moments of him walking in and me playing a video game were uh, in Nier Automata, where Pascal asks you to either kill him or erase his memories. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, um, the first moment I got dragged to hell by a BT in Death Stranding, and like a whale popped out of the ground, and when Julian picked me up in Kentucky Route Zero. Okay. So he must think Great. I'm like really just diving deep every night into the weirdest shit I can find, which is not wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, not incorrect. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just a really incredible, and I think, I think I, when, uh, literally today, the soundtrack of this game went on Spotify, which is awesome, but you were like, don't listen past a certain song. Yeah. Because it's a spoiler, and that was, I imagine this. Yeah, yeah, I, d- I didn't um, want you to hear this song. Yeah, I, that's kind of all I wanted to talk about for now. There's more stuff, yeah, I, I think, think so. to say about Junebug and Johnny and they're queer coding and things like that but we can talk about that i think maybe after you finished act three because it's there uh in what you've experienced so far but um there's a lot more of it and it, and it gets uh really great i i junebug and johnny are just incredible characters um yeah that i could talk about just endlessly um there's a really lovely uh i think i i do want to cite this moment i won't really set it up exactly but there's a moment where it's just ezra and junebug uh, which is cool because like we haven't seen those characters interact yet. She's Junebug is talking about to Ezra like about being unique basically, and you know she said that they were kind of set up to be miners like everyone else. Uh, you know to work in the mines. Oh, this is um, where she talks about being an android. Oh, really? Yes. Interesting. Okay. See, I I yeah. Okay. I so this thing that you okay. So just just to clarify what what's happening here. Steven sent me a screenshot. So this is a, this is a quote from Junebug. They were going to have us clearing out the old mines. Doesn't matter what you look like under uh, all that rock and water. A bunch of gray shadows shoveling and hammering invisibly at the walls, draining the tunnels. Johnny found some gear, an old tape player. We hid away in an underwater cave and listened to it over and over again. And we knew we weren't miners. We slipped out onto the road, just these two featureless shapes. And ever since that night, we've been uh, detailing, coloring and specifying. Um, so th- this is literally, uh, the two of them were androids that came off like an assembly line built to be miners and, and decided at some point that that's not what they wanted to be. They were just like gray, featureless, genderless, whatever androids and, uh, and, and came out of the mine and decided they wanted to be fucking punk rock stars. Um, that's, that's even better. And that's also how dystopian the setting is that I didn't. I couldn't distinguish between human or machine like that. That backstory could easily apply to like Shannon's family. Yeah, I'm thinking whoever. I'm thinking now yeah. that your read on it might be. I mean, it probably and definitely is equally valid. I mean, if that's how you perceived it, then that's definitely also valid. I read this yeah. literally as they literally are gray shape, uh, like gray shapes. But it's uh, it's it's the robot noises that they make when they walk that really. Got yeah, me. I thought that was my weird skeleton. Like, oops, oopsie. 
Um, but yeah, th this idea that they are uh, slowly figuring out their own identities because they were born as blank slates, I think, is really interesting. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're literally free of everything um, except for like the their intended purpose. Um, and like when freeing themselves from that, what do they become? Weirdly, the same thing that Toy Story 4 is about, but I'll I'll talk about <laughs> Toy Story 4 some other time. Weird that one of the interludes between Act 3 and 4 is just Toy Story 4. Yeah, you uh, just keep pulling Woody's string and he just keeps saying... <laughs> he keeps saying distant highway sounds or <laughs> silence. <laughs> There's a snake in my... <laughs> I think that's a good note for us to stop on. <laughs> We've been recording for so long. This is a long one. This is like longer than Games of the Decade, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a very different energy. I, I, um, I hope no none of our faithful listeners feel like bait and switched by this one. Because I feel like, I mean, we haven't done this in a while. We haven't had a game where we just like dug deep into the like specifics of the story. I think since Fire Emblem or since our bonuses like Titanfall Two. Yeah. It, it feels good to find a game that like really kind of pulls us this way. And again, like like I said before, we're not reviewing, but I think we're always in a position to find the good. And I think it's a really cool experience to uh, find a game that's like this inspiring, like that that I can point to and be like, this is why we had this show. It's right, like yeah. to find shit like this. This is worth sticking around. Absolutely. Uh, yes. This is worth the Kingdom Hearts 3s of the world to find this. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Kingdom Hearts 3 is fine. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's probably a good note. I feel like I'm going to go finish Act 3 as soon as we're done. And uh, yeah, I think uh, probably not next week because I think we'll probably need to do like a fun episode after this one. Um, this is a lot of fun, but like I, I feel like I've been playing Kentucky Route Zero. Yeah, <laughs> it's very it's it. a very cerebral video game. Um, yeah, it, it um, demands a lot of you as the player um, to think about it. But it's great. I mean, as evidenced by our long episode about it, like I really think it's 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 it is beautiful despite how harrowing it, harrowing it is. Yeah, God, harrowing. There yes, you go. There you go. Um. That's my dialogue tree. Is just trying to say harrowing five times. <laughs> uh, Harry wing, Harry wing, <laughs> giant nest. I don't know. <laughs> Harry wing. Sorry, I'm trying to make distant highway. You know my my. <laughs> you know the episode is over when I'm trying to imitate a highway. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Lauren Michaels. Uh, thanks for coming. Uh, this is my impression of the zero. <laughs> um you're high all right yeah good night yeah we good should night. we should stop this yeah we uh this is the first time in a long time we've recorded at night it's almost midnight here i'm like i don't even know how to end this show anymore i think maybe the only way to end it is to just end it yeah everybody Look knows behind how we you feel. and there's a skeleton with a notebook <laughs> <laughs> i'm so sorry i'm sorry to all our patrons i'm sorry um Speaking of, uh, do you have the list of our patrons to thank? Oh, shit. No, uh, I don't. There we go. Hey, uh, this is our list of patrons. Uh, please forgive me. It's so late. Uh, thank you to Akira, Alex, Andrew D., the other Andrew D., Ariel, Bede, uh, Benjamin D., Benjamin W., Bolt, Brendan, Brett, Catherine, Christopher, David, Dennis, Elliot, Hilton, Inez, uh, Jason, Jeff, Josh, Cameron, Connor, Kieran, Kim, Kyle, Mark, Marcel, Melly Muffin Pie, Micah, Min, 
Murray, Naomi, No Name, Pablo, Philip, Robert, Salute, Peasy, Scout, Shelly, Whoa, Spencer, Trevor, and Will. Also, somebody named Skin Tight Alloy. Wasn't that your Xbox name? This is after talking about Kentucky Route Zero. To hear my original Xbox Live name from 2007 as a patron, like, really just fucked me Yeah, I'm (laughs) also very confused. I think that we've definitely referenced that before, so I'm sure it's a deep cut from a a longtime fan. But, like, oddly spooky, given the circumstances. Wild. Let's look at our list of patrons. My past self, (laughs) uh, my future, Lula Chamberlain, uh, Junebug, who is actually here with me now. Uh, singing into a pre-recorded sermon, um, uh, the the Church of uh, the Weird Medicine that was given to Conway. Uh, thank you, for real, for real, for real, for real. Thank you so much. We have a lot of new ones there. That's kind of amazing. Yeah, so cool. Thank you to everyone who's done this. Yeah. Um, and just as always, yeah. thank you for listening. Like we love making the show. Uh. We love experimenting with the show and, and doing new stuff and, and you've helped us grow uh tremendously throughout the we've almost been doing this show for two years. It'll be two years in June. Yeah. So wild. One and a half. Yeah. Um it's felt longer. I'll say that in a good way. And but, thanks to Annapurna yeah. Interactive. I was about to say I was I was surprised I didn't bring this up earlier. I feel like this has just cemented our like unmoving fandom of Annapurna. I've never felt this, this way about a publisher before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing pajama pants with robots on them. I we should stop. I'm wearing, uh, goodbye. I'm dressed up. I dressed up as Julian. I'm a big eagle. Uh, if if you like the show, review it on Apple Podcasts. If you like us, you can follow us at Twitter uh, Enter the Cast. Our Twitch account is also Enter the Cast. Um, if you want to meet us, drive your car uh, to the tree that's always on fire. Make a left until you hear a song that you've never heard before. But it sounds familiar. Uh, at that point, you have no choice. You are on the zero, uh, and you'll find us in hell. Um, did you see that somebody in the Discord made a see you in hell emoji? Oh, did yeah. they? <laughs> I've said that they too said much. That's our unofficial that's, that's sign off. Track. Once I, I know I've said something too much. Once it becomes an emoji, <laughs> eventually, uh, eventually, me saying uh, what that. Uh, I know this sealed the deal for me, but Julian carrying me to the forest is really what pulled me into Annapurna. It will be the next emotion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. All right. Good night. See you in hell. Thank you. Thank you, Henry, for this opportunity to perform at the lower depths. Can you imagine if Junebug went up and was just like, thanks for coming out tonight?
WGWG, the worst garbage dot online.